Good evening, horror fans. Did you know there are a lot of people who do not believe in vampires? Ah, but I do, because I know they exist. I have fought them in all their guises. Man, wolves, bats, and I have always won. That is why they call me the Great Vampire Killer. Now, watch me do it. That's right, it's Fright Night for Reals, yo. And uh, I'm Chris Honeywell, and I'm here with my co-host, Scott Gardner. Happy Halloween! Yes, for our yearly Halloween show. My favorite (laughs) holiday and Scott's second favorite holiday. Second favorite holiday, right behind Arbor Day. Yeah. Arbor Day. A wonderful (laughs) holiday. Um, But yeah, so today we'll be... uh, We'll be covering Fright Night and Fright Night 2. Fright Night 2. Yes. And even at the end of the show, we'll be talking a little bit of uh, Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. As we have a little scoop. We do. We have bit the of a inside scoop. shit on it. So, yeah. There you go. So, Fright Night, man. Yes. Now, I'm trying to remember. Um, I, I, I'm almost positive that I saw this with my cousin Michelle in Fulton, New York, you know, at that little, I want, I want to say it was a two-screener that they had. It, may, it might have only been a one-screener. It might have been a one-screener. But I know that we saw a lot of movies there together. And, and Fright Night for me was like right in that period of like perfect storms of these little, you know, they don't seem little now, but at the time they were little movies, you know, or at least they seemed like they released as little movies. And, you know, it was like the, the big three I can recall, like like the perfect little, I almost want to call them a trilogy, was The Terminator, Highlander, and Fright Night. And, you know, they were, at least in our area, they were like these little sleeper hits, you know? Yes. They, they, they kind of snuck out there under the radar with not a lot of fanfare or anything. And then, you know, look at them today. You know, you look back and it's like there's there, they have this elevated cult status, especially, I mean, Terminator's had, you know, what, three, Terminator's four sequels? A ma- yeah, Terminator's a mainstream show. movie now. Yeah, well, now Highlander's had a TV show too, right? Yeah, Highlander, yeah, so. yes, had like umpteen shitty sequels and right. that TV show. Um, Fright Night's been Fright a comic Night. series. Yeah, comics. And, uh, you know, I was reading something today and uh, evidently there was a computer game. 
based on Fright Night. Oh. I never knew that. I never saw it. I never knew I that. I never before. heard of that. No, me neither. It. it sounded interesting because it, it, it said that you actually, um, you know, I would think that if you, if there was a computer game or a video game based on Fright Night, then you would imagine that you played, you know, Charlie or Peter you know, stopping vampires or ghouls or whatever, but it was actually the complete opposite. You actually played Jerry Dandridge <laughs> and you had to go create vampires. I thought that was a very novel twist. Um, well, it makes sense because you end up dying at the end, inevitably, if it's a computer <laughs> game. So that's more, more realistic. At least the heroes always win in that, that Fright Night. Now, before we get too into the Well, actually... um. How did you first see this movie? Do you remember? I think you made... I think we went to see it together, but it was after you'd seen it, and you were like, you gotta go see this movie. It was <laughs> definitely... You were the proponent I thought I might have been, Fright but I Night, remember. Which yeah. is very ironic, because I'm usually the horror movie fan, and you're usually the one who's not really into those. I don't like horror movies. That's the really ironic thing about me loving Well, that's the funny so thing about this. I is don't like horror films. You're absolutely right. This is a pretty horror film, horror film too. For yeah. you know, I, I, I'm surprised that you like this, and there's other stuff that you don't like, because and, like, okay, there's some people who aren't fans of gory horror films, but this one's got some gore, you know, this one's got some gore, some nudity, you know, it's, it's not it's like not... a high... I mean, maybe you, you like vampire films because I know you're a fan of the um, Frank Langella Dracula. Yes, Dracula. Too. Oh, God, I love that movie. You know what it is, Chris? Is it, it, It's not the gore. I finally figured this out years later, you know, as I, you know, got older and, and started to watch more old horror movies that I didn't see as a kid and stuff. Uh-huh. Is that I always chalked it up to me being a very sensitive child and, you know, I didn't like scary stuff and I didn't like gore and all that. But I've come to the realization it was never the gore or the blood or the violence or anything that, that got to me. It was the senseless death. I think that's what bugged me about uh. most horror, like slasher films. I hate slasher movies because to me it was the glorification. And I don't of, don't don't get me wrong. Lives not, being thrown away. Yeah, yeah I'm it's not the, trying well, to that's be the horror. All, that's where the know, horror comes from in it. But yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to be all touchy feely and be a big puss about it. But I, I, seriously, I mean, I could never get into movies like like Freddy or Jason or or any of those kind of movies because it was just you know. Seeing somebody get whacked in the head with a machete as he's screwing his girlfriend just to me was not the idea of a good time. You know what I mean? I, in something like this one, you know, the you could argue that like when the prostitutes are murdered, that's a pretty senseless death, but it wasn't um, over the top. Well, uh, it was the, the the actually all those deaths were were those it fed, were... fed the story. And they were all off screen, really, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, you see him bite yeah. into one, you know, but he does that to just to show it off to Charlie. Right. But, um, yeah, I mean, those, they, they, they weren't, you know, they were part of the story, but they weren't a featured part of the story. You didn't see the, the head come off, you know. And yeah, the, they weren't sensationalistic. You, saw, you right. saw a carpet, you know, or a, you know, a body wrapped in, you know, something wrapped in plastic being loaded in, into a car. And stuff like that, but <clears throat> what struck me about rewatching this is that I'd forgotten that it, this is a pretty visceral horror movie. This has some some strong gore in it, and and what it what really feeds back into what you were saying at first about the um, 
it being a sleeper, low budget. Everything about this movie is potentially second rate. The the lead right. actor is like a second is is like sort of a copy of uh, Matthew Broderick. He's even got the same sort of little accent that Matthew Broderick has. Mm-hmm. The music is sort of a like a, a, a you know watered down risky business soundtrack. You know, like Can't right. Dream Dream soundtrack. You know, and it's got the this sort of um, you know all these elements of bigger movies and um, the horror and comedy mix of um, an American werewolf in London. Plus yes. the teen movie John Hughes stuff, and Spielbergy level and Lucas level special effects, which you know it was a lower budget, but both these movies, the special effects are really good and hold yes. up very well to to stuff today. And That's one of my notes as well. Is is I just wrote on my notes holds up really well. A- absolutely, yeah. I completely agree. Well, it's, the only thing the only thing that dates it is the actual. It takes place in the eighties, so whenever 80s. someone pulls up in the car, there's bam, bam, you know, eighties <laughs> music going in the car, and and like the lead actress dresses like a holly hobby, you know. Um, <laughs> You know, little house. She dresses like my little sister looked in the eighties. Yes, exactly. That feathered hair, and then the like, you know, the very prim and proper like floor length dresses and Mm -hmm. gingham-y stuff. Uh, You know, just very, very eighties in that respect. But and 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 um, Roddy McDowell being sort of like, um, you know, the 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 next level down from Malcolm McDowell. (laughs) You know. Or Vincent Price. You well, know, he was basically playing Vincent Price. He, he was know, an amalgamation. By being Peter Vincent, Peter Vincent he was um, an amalgamation of Peter Cushing and mm-hmm. Vincent Price. Mm-hmm. And that, that's where his character comes from. But, oh, man, I think... But all those things worked... All, uh, I'm that, sorry? They worked above their second rateness. Everything worked perfectly, you know. The, Absolutely. That actor didn't really go on to do much else, you know. Roddy was that Charlie? Or, yeah, Charlie. Yeah, you know. William Ragsdale. Yeah, I, I looked up a lot of the principles of this to, to get into that a little bit later, you know, talking about other things and everything. And, you know, he's about the only one of you know the the major people in these movies that really is like a blank slate i mean he really never did anything else of of consequence you know what i mean i mean he was in some stuff like i think that probably the biggest thing that maybe some of our audience might have heard of was herman's head uh, that's about right, the biggest right. thing i could find that he that he had done besides the fright night movies and it's really a shame because I mean, I think he's really good in both of these movies, you know? So why didn't he go on to something else? I think else? there was only room for one Matthew Broderick in the universe, <laughs> and, and, and he didn't quite make it there first, you know? But, I mean, he was. He was. He's almost like a stamped out, you know, just slightly different, but he's got that same sort of all-American boy, you know? I, well, I read that he lost out on two roles... I know one of them was Glory, and I forget what the other one was, but he lost out on two roles to Matthew Broderick. Right, right. It's very (laughs) funny that you make that comparison because, you know, it's very apt. As soon as he said Glory, I was like, oh, no, man. So he probably hates Matthew Broderick. 
You took my <laughs> life. I'm actually 15 minutes older than Matthew Broderick. I should have had Ferris Bueller's day off. God damn it. They're probably like, you know, like on, on Earth 1, you've got Barry Allen, and on Earth 2, you've got Jay Garrick, but they're both the Flash. It's probably the same thing as like... Right. You know, William Ragsdale is like the Earth B version of, of Matthew Broderick. Exactly. They just can't exist on the same planet together or something. <laughs> That's funny. At least not at the same level of fame. You know, but going back to what you said, though, about me not liking horror movies, it makes me wonder, and, you know, God, you know, I I just had this thought. I just now thought of this. Damn, I wish there was time to do this. I wish we could have got my cousin for this episode, because I bet you her memories of this are a lot better than mine as far as actually going to the movie, because I'm wondering if she drugged me to this movie. Because the only thing I can remember about Fright Night before going to see it was I remember the trailer. And there's this one image in the trailer. In in the actual movie, it's like half a second long. But I can remember it vividly from the trailer is the shot of of um dandridge's manservant and you know in the trailer you don't you don't even see a face you see arms coming out of uh, of what it looks to be fog but it's actually smoke from peter's gun you know the part where he's shooting the guy on the stairs and then you know the zombie or whatever he is comes walking out with his arms like held straight out that was an image in the trailer that has stuck with me all these years as just this mist or fog with these like zombie arms reaching out. And I think that was the image from the trailer that made me want to see this movie for some weird reason that that was like the one little snippet of that trailer that was like, Hey, that, that looks like something I'd like to see, but don't ask me why, you know, that's just so bizarre. Now my, myself, I liked horror movies and I was probably, you know, at that, at that time frame you could have gotten me to, you know i was gonna go to see almost any genre movie good mm-hmm. or bad you know just because i was at my mom's house on the weekend near a movie theater and it's like pff, you know i could ride my bike over to the movie theater i was gonna go watch you know adventures in the forbidden zone or you know see that was the thing was... is that 84 85 like i said it was that perfect time in our lives where for one movies were still cheap but also, didn't it feel like in in, the, in that time frame, in those two summers, like everything was awesome? Even if it sucked, like Adventures in the Forbidden Zone, well, it, was it was still fun to go see fun. it. You yeah, know? Exa- it was exactly. Fun to go yeah. see it. Exactly. You know, it, because it wasn't so expensive. You yeah. don't. You didn't really worry about your money flying away. It was like going to the arcade. You could, you know, go to the arcade with two fifty and play a bunch of games. But mm-hmm. you could go to the movie theater with two fifty and see a movie, and yep. that got you a lot more, and you know, and it got you a bunch of previews. And if you were sneaky, you could even walk into another movie after the one movie got out. Yeah, or, you know. So, yeah. So I, I, you know, I mean, I don't think I got dragged to this, but I think you were definitely like, you got to go see Fright Night. It's an awesome movie, and then mm-hmm. we went and, and and saw it. And I remember just being like, wow, this is this movie. It doesn't mess around it has references to like it starts out being sort of like a reference to hitchcock rear window where he's you know watching right suspicious activity going on and usually movies like that toy with you for a little while they toy with whether 
you know, this kid's delusional, whether he, you know, it's a three's company, just sort of, this movie doesn't fuck around, right? You know, right off the bat, you find out Charlie isn't delusional at all. No, everybody else doubts him, but, you know, the, the movie plays its card and says, yes, this is a vampire, and he's, you know, not messing around. And, uh, and that was rare in those kinds of movies, you know, it was... It reminds me a lot of American Werewolf in London, where it would have the humor and then the realistic parts, but then it would have moments of true horror and gruesomeness, you know? Yes, yeah. And suspense. Dead seriousness, uh, yeah. And that's a formula that people don't have a lot of success with, and they try to do it a lot. And nowadays, I don't think they do it anymore. They go for the sheer over-the-top stuff like you know evil dead was part two was the one that started that you know evil dead part two isn't a scary movie it's a fun movie you know right it deals with scary stuff whereas fright night is a fun movie it's a funny movie and it's a scary movie Mm -hmm. and it's a teenager movie and all this other stuff you know it's like sort of the perfect amalgam of all the (laughs) popcorn 80s movies yeah you're right a little bit of everything Yeah. Teen romance and, you know, it's got the uh, classic situation with the divorced mom, you know, the single mom who's like, oh, maybe the next door neighbors. And she's very, you know, progressive. You know, the, the opening scene is with him fighting with his girlfriend. And she says something like, you know, you'd rather look out the window than make love to me. And the mother's like, what are you guys talking about? Yeah, exactly. You know, and the mom knows perfectly well what they're talking about. But she's like, well, you know, they're old enough, uh, you know. So it's just that, yeah, that perfect combination of all those 80s elements. It's like the Langella Dracula meets Ferris Bueller, you know. Mm -hmm. It's like a horror movie, you know, like a teen horror movie through the the but John got, Hughes filter or something, and, but it's, it's got shouts out to Hammer and mm-hmm. more Hammer really than classic American like Universal movies as much. Yeah. But you know, yeah, it's you know it's 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 got it's got a lot of stuff for the you know the horror fan in it. You know, of course, there, you know you see all there's all sorts of interesting horror movie posters in his room and stuff. And and that was something that was start you know that whole like, the filmmakers putting you know references to their favorite films into the references. What I liked about this though, is a lot of like the movies you saw on TV were stuff that they filmed, to make look right. like a cheesy old movie. Right. Which I loved it. I loved like right at the beginning you see a scene of Peter Vincent running at a at a vampire with a. You know, with his wooden stake in his hand, and the stake is like backwards. Backwards, yeah. yeah. No, and that. it's just like, oh man, it's just you know, it's just a little more cheesy than a real cheesy movie. But it, it's it's it was a great little touch, you know. And uh, it's full of those. It's just full. And oh, how can I neglect this? It's got the perfect the the. This is an '80s thing that you saw in almost every movie that was not rated G or PG. Boobs, boobies, yeah, <laughs> and when you saw the boobies, there was an aud- they're accompanied by an audible gasp by the protagonist. You see the boobs, and he goes, "Oh, <gasps> you know? oh yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly." And uh, that's a to- that's eighties all the way, mm-hmm. all the way. I saw that, and I'm just like, "Oh my god, I forgot about that." It, whenever like boobs would get uncovered in an eighties movie, there would be someone somewhere going. 
Yes. <laughs> no, I thankfully I didn't forget about that scene because I, I really wanted to watch this with Scotty, you know, my oldest boy, to gauge his reaction. You know, does this hold up for new audiences? You know, would he watch it and, and get the same thing I got out of it? Damn right, age? he would watch it. Or would I? You know, would he watch it and go, oh "God, another one of Dad's cheesy ass old movies"? You know, not in the first but ten I, minutes, he'd be like, "I like Dad's cheesy ass old movie." Here. <laughs> but no, I didn't let him watch it just because I did remember the uh, the boob sequence. So oh. no, we didn't watch this one together. Yeah, it was like in the next couple years that my dad started exposing me to boob movies like Stripes <laughs> and stuff like that. And, um, you know, like would take me to see R-rated movies and stuff like that. And, yeah, boobs are a special treat at like yes. at your son's age. And I'm sure he's seen some. <laughs> hell, they're a special treat at my age. What the hell are you talking about? <laughs> they are. But they're not as special as they is. They, they, they don't have the the vibe to them that they do when you're yeah, they have you know, a power over me that i that i well, have maybe, no yeah, immunity okay. to okay <laughs> I, I take it back now i discovered something I, I did a lot more research on this than i typically do in a show i gotta be honest typically when when you and i sit down to do a show it's like totally, you know, off the cuff, no prep whatsoever. But with this one, I, I pulled out all the stops. I really wanted to make sure that I had good notes and, and things like that. And one of the things I was really surprised to find was I knew that Tom Holland had a hand in this. And I swore that he was the director. He's actually not the director. He just wrote this one. I forget what the actual director's name was. But Holland wrote this one. He's the one that wrote and directed um, Psycho 2, another one of my favorite movies. That was a very good movie, yes. I liked that. Yeah, I liked that movie a whole lot. But I was really surprised to find that he actually did not direct Fright Night because I would have bet money that he directed this movie. But he did go on to uh, to do some other movies, only a couple of which I've, I've ever seen and really cared you know much about. I did note that he directed that stupid movie about the the doll that's had like fifty sequels. The the stupid Chucky thing. I never liked. Oh, those Chucky! Movies, but yeah, that he did the first that was Chucky movie. Yeah, uh. what was it? Child Child's Play or whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I never liked that, but I you know it's a, it's a cult hit, and I know it has its fans. So you know, there's a little shout out to those people. But yeah, I never I never saw the appeal. And I was reading something where uh, Chris Sarandon that plays uh, the vampire in this, Jerry Dandridge, that he has a part in that movie, too. So there's another little crossover uh -huh. with alums from Fright Night into that. Now, you mentioned earlier the soundtrack. And yes, I, this was one of the first if not the first like huge life lesson for me when it came to buying soundtracks when i when i started to get into buying soundtracks was you know be careful what you're buying because i i bought this raced home to listen to it and discovered that it was pure shit from beginning to end because there was like i think there was one maybe two tracks at most of the actual score by Brad Fidel 
and the rest of it was the just those shit feeding the fire yeah type you know, songs yeah exactly yeah. you know the armies of the night and all that stuff oh man those songs <laughs> suck even the title song which thank god they only play over the uh, closing credits right. of the three and it was was it like the jay giles band or some some shit band it was like you know, it's that song that goes, fright, 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 night, 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 night. It was a, like this really stupid shit song. And that if was If it was like a Jay Giles album. band, I probably would have liked it. So I don't think it's no. a Jay Giles band. But well, it was I something, I, I know exactly what you mean. It was just this generic. That's the thing. It was that generic studio rock that they yeah. made in the 80s. They still make it now, but... It's the really, one... It really gives movies the feel of a porno movie, to yes. be perfectly honest. That there music is, is one good one. All right, well, I won't say good, but there is one that at the time I liked, and it actually is in the movie. And it's the because they play a surprising number of the of the things that are on the soundtrack actually are in the movie. Appear which, in there, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't always happen. You know, well, they go to times. a club and stuff like that, yeah. and they're driving around in their cars, so they get yeah. to listen to it in their cars. But at that club, they actually play like three or four songs that wind up on the soundtrack. But there was one, it was, uh, I can't remember the exact name of the song, but it was the one that has the line, oh, he's a good man. Yes. You know, it's a very 80s thing, yes. but you know, it was a good tune, a good little ditty for its time, I guess, I, you know, compared to, like, the other just crap. You used to stuff. sort of make fun of it a little bit, though, I remember. Oh, and, yeah, and, hell yeah. And, when I you did. got this, because I, I, as soon as I heard you sing that, I can remember you kind of mocking that, like, in... Because it sucks, <laughs> yeah. Man. You're probably singing it to Randy or something. Probably, to, yeah. To tease him. But it pissed me off because... It was expensive. I think it was something I had to special order or I had to hunt all uh -huh. over some place to find or something. It's only on Varese Saraband. Yeah. And, uh, and I finally got it, and it was like, what What the fuck is this? I mean, I'm pretty sure it was the first one of those I ever, you know, and it became the standard. That's what really pissed me off was that. At the time, it was it was kind of a freak, you know. It was it was one of these weird deals where, you know, before that, I'd, I'd bought soundtracks like you know, like Star Wars and Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan, and you know, all these things that were actual scores, you know. And then I got this, and it was like, what the hell is this piece of shit? You know, it's like th this isn't a score. This isn't a sound. You know, my conception of a. And then yeah, it's a collection you know, to of add pop songs. Crap, yeah. And then to add insult to injury, they slowly—that's what soundtracks. You know, the official, you know, film soundtrack that would be commercially released. That's what they became. Right. Because you'd be damn lucky, you know, if there well, was it's... one track of score and everything else was just shit. I remember Ghostbusters was like that, and Ghostbusters was insulting about it because one of the tracks on there was remember the part where where bill murray and his friends walk in to their little lab at the beginning of the movie and the dean is kicking them out yeah there's a guy one of the movers walks by and you hear like half a second of music in the guy's headphone he was right. wearing like the big 80s style headphones and listening to music you know, and, and you can hear it real tinny, like through his headset as he walks by the screen. 
that is a fucking cut on the soundtrack. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. You know, that they took up time from... But, yeah, but it's because those soundtracks sold a lot more. They did. They did. They, yeah, they were always the, better Ghostbusters was, you know, I mean, I mean, really, like, those early John Williams, you know, the Star Wars scores and stuff like that were flukes, I think, as far as... Oh, yeah. As, as soundtracks go. And then after that, they figured out, you know, it's, I think it was that movie Footloose was a big one that yes. did it where, you know, where all of a sudden Flash every song, dance. Slash Dance. And Saturday Night Fever and yeah, all those. Yeah, all those records sold trillions of copies, you know. Yeah. My sister burned through probably like five tapes of the Footloose soundtrack. I don't know how many times I had to fucking sit through, let's hear it for the boy. <laughs> oh, God, I hate that song. Yeah. <laughs> As much as I love and will defend the 80s with, you know, my my dying breath, the music is something I find very hard to defend because the music of the 80s. uh, There was some good music. Oh, no, there There was was some some good good music. music, But but at the same point, yeah, it was really weird. There was just like this magical period when MTV first started happening. And all of a sudden, all these people who all of a sudden weren't big stars got their chance because there weren't enough videos to fill up MTV. So all of a sudden Thomas Dolby got his video on because it was fucking goofy and you know, it had a storyline and people liked to watch it. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden Thomas Dolby's a pop star or you know, a relatively right. decent pop star all because he did you know, a video on MTV, and there all of a sudden there was some weird shit cut. Like I remember when the Arrhythmics first oh, sort yeah. of appeared; they were very creepy and weird sounding, and didn't sound like anything that came before them. Yeah. And then, you know, and and that sort of happened in the '90s too, before grunge became sort of the standard. There was all these weird, interesting bands, and then you get. They start coming up, and then you get the the sort of McDonald's version that, <laughs> that gets processed after that, you know, and it just, yeah. But, but, but thank yeah, God. The, the soundtrack is definitely that processed. Oh, yeah. Through and through. Thank God in the early days of, of you know, uh, what you call it, peer-to-peer groups and the downloading thing and that whole scene I, I finally did find and I have no idea if it's an official release that somebody just put up on the net or if it was some sort of bootleg deal or what but I did finally score the uh, the full version score by uh, by Brad Fidel of Fright Night and I am so thankful. And it's one of those deals where I don't care if it's a bootleg or if it's an official version that somebody got cheated out of their 20 bucks because I didn't pay for it or what. Because in my opinion, they can fucking spot me for that shitty one. Does it have all the shitty? Does it have all the shitty songs on it? It does have them on there. And I just don't I don't put it in that plays. But, you know, that's the thing is that they did it completely flip-flop is it's got all the score and then like as an afterthought it's got all the shitty music at the end of it so you can you know it's really neat you know yeah like it it basically took him 25 years to figure that out yeah right but uh i like brad fidel i don't have a lot of his stuff 
but you know he was another one that was right there in the 80s you know he did uh you know of course he did the terminator that was probably the biggest score he ever did or at least you know in my opinion that was the the biggest uh, and probably the one he's most famous for was the original terminator um and then he also did another one of my favorite movies um desert bloom do you remember that movie used to play on hbo like every five minutes when we were yeah i never saw it though oh really no Oh man, love that movie. That that's one that's one of my few remaining Holy Grail scores is the score to that movie. To my knowledge, it's it's only uh only ever been one of those what do they call it? Like a suite on one of uh, his like, compilation albums yeah. or something like that. But yeah, they they uh, to my knowledge, they've never done a full score release and I sure wish they would. But uh they they've never done Fright Night 2 either to to my knowledge and he did that one although I don't know about the score music in the second movie, but I know that those shitty rock tunes, a lot of them are recycled from the first movie oh. into the second movie. So I thought that was kind of funny. But... Save a little money. Yeah, there you go. What else have we got on the front? Because I got tons of notes on the first one. What else you got? Well, I got I got tons too. Um, Hit me. One of, one of the things is, um, one of my notes is uh, Peter Vincent is... Now, a lot of these things might sound like criticisms, but they're not really because this thing does – they should be criticisms, but I like – the movie was likable enough that they weren't. And that's uh, – Peter Vincent's the first likable character in the movie. And to, to, when, I wa- when I was watching it this time, when Peter Vincent showed up, I was like, I can identify with this guy. I like this guy. Uh which is the exact opposite reaction I had when I first saw it, where I liked everybody and I thought Peter Vincent was kind of a dick when he first showed up, you know, and then warmed up to the kids. But when I first, when when I was watching this now, I'm like, these kids are annoying, man, especially Evil Ed. I don't like the character, the the, the way that actor portrayed Evil Ed. It's just too broad, you know? It's It's like... Crispin Glover could have pulled off a weirdo, you know, role like that. But this guy's just a little too, like, you know, it's just a little too, I don't know, it didn't work for me. And I was like, well, all these characters are kind of annoying. You know, I mean, um, I mean, Charlie Brewster is like, you know, he's like the horny teenager. But he is, he's getting totally, like distracted away from his girlfriend by, you know, stuff out the window. There's no way if you had that girl in your bed and she's like, (laughs) I've decided we're finally going to have sex, that you'd be like, yeah, just a minute. Let me uh, check out what's on TV here for a sec, you know. That, you know, whatever. I think of that every time I see this movie. That's that's the one part that is a little bit hard to swallow is that he, he just goes... Uh, yeah, hang hang on. I'd rather watch these dudes carrying a coffin through the yard than than. Yeah, I'd be, you know. I'd be like, I wouldn't be thinking. I like the next morning. I you know when I was taking a shower after she'd gone home, you know, I'd be like, hey, wait, they were carrying a coffin. You know, that's that 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 would be me. You know, not. But you know, maybe he's supposed to be at that age. Between I don't know, but you know, I call bullshit on that too. And, <laughs> There's a you know there's a few things that 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 I call bullshit on here like the one thing that I thought was the most preposterous thing is when he goes to the cops and says you know I saw that dead hooker 
the night before at this guy's house and the cops go to the house with him with them they bring him with, with Charlie Brewster with them to the house to check out this guy there's no way the cops would do that there's no way you're you're in da- that's how the you know they found out that Charlie was on to him you know it, it it was just too and there's no way the cops would take it that lightly you know they would be just like you sure you saw this woman go into his house and then you know he pull pull you know the cops would take that very seriously there's no way they'd be like all right we'll send a a fat detective and he'll grab the kid and they'll just go knock on the guy's door there's just no way but I didn't pick up on that when I was a kid, but I picked up on it this time. Well, it's funny you mention that, too, because I've got a note on that. Um, the cop that brings him to Dandridge's house, I have no idea what that actor's name is. but uh, He's been he, in a million movies. Yeah, though. he was in Die Hard 2. Right, 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 right. Worked up in the air traffic control tower. He was the guy where... Somebody said something about, you know, why don't we get some big spotlights or something? And his big line was, oh, where do we get these giant spotlights? Borrow them from Batman? I always thought that was a really, like, shitty line in that movie. <laughs> That's why it always stuck out to me. But, yeah, he – well, I think he's also the guy that uh, that Bruce Willis is escorting to that Skyway where they get attacked by the guy that would later go on to play, like, the T2 Oh, you know, right, 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 right. You know who I'm talking about? I can't yeah, yeah. remember that actor's name either. That was like his first big movie role is he was just like bad guy number three or whatever, you know? And then, then like a year or two later, he was he was the, the T-1000 in Terminator 2. So, yeah. But uh, well, you had mentioned earlier, well, I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the uh, the actors and the characters in the movie. But you mentioned uh, Roddy McDowell. I love Roddy McDowell. Oh, I don't yeah. know what it is about him either. I, I think it was part of it was his it's voice. The Planet of the Apes. It's his yeah, voice from yeah. Planet of the Apes Planet helps the a Apes. lot. That's yep. for me anyway. Yeah. He was Cornelius or later on Cornelius's son Caesar in all of the Planet of the Apes movies except the second one. And that guy, whoever played Cornelius in the second one, was great because he was doing a he just copied him. Yeah. impersonation and nobody even realized it wasn't Roddy McDowell. But uh, he was, he's I was looking at his uh, whatever you call it filmography or whatever. Yep. Man, he was in a million movies. I mean, he was in a lot of stuff. But he was one of those guys that started out. He was a child, you know, like a child star, child actor or whatever. And I want to say he made a bunch of Disney movies. I could be wrong. I don't know. I mean, I was only I think you're right. with him from about like mid seventies on up because um, he was in one of my favorite movies, um, The Poseidon Adventure. And uh, you know, as a matter of fact, I, I didn't remember that until today when I was I was watching Fright Night Two in prep for this show and that scene where Peter was climbing either up or down the elevator shaft it suddenly occurred to me i was like wait a this minute is right out of this yeah. is right out of tower out of uh, poseidon adventure because doesn't his character die when they're they're climbing up like what was it one of the smokestacks or i something? have never and seen like, the poseidon adventure ne- neither of them oh no. man 
Oh, we need to, you need to watch those, and we'll do a show on those sometimes. Because, well, I, the second one pretty much sucks. It's good for a laugh because it was it was like. Well, I, I meant the imagine- remake. This is what I oh, was saying. Oh, 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 no. No, I'm talking the original. The original Poseidon. Yeah, and then there was, like, Beyond the Poseidon Beyond Adventure Poseidon or something. Poseidon Adventure. Yeah, that's the one I was talking about. That, that one's good for a chuckle. Because it's basically like Poseidon Adventure was a huge blockbuster movie. So naturally, you know, what does Hollywood like to do? They like to, you know, milk things for for every nickel they can get. So they Right, but it's, se- like do, it's like doing a sequel to Titanic. Titanic, exactly. That's what I was going to say. Exactly. It's like Titanic 2, you know. So yeah, exactly. They they made a sequel to Titanic, and it was fucking stupid, you know, because it had it had Kojak in it for one. Th- I mean, that right there should tell you, okay, this movie is gonna suck, because Kojak was like the the I think he was a bad guy. It was it was lame though. It was really lame. <coughs> well, that but the there was ri- a weird time period. There was a lot of <laughs> underwater. <laughs> <clears throat> pardon trapped underwater movies because wasn't it like airport 77 it was the sst yeah, was like underwater and like everybody or something yeah. all these like impossible movies where it's like yeah if the sst went to the bottom of the ocean guess what everybody's dead period well, what was that of, one because i but, know people for a long time there, there's a popular misconception that this movie was about the titanic and it wasn't but there was a movie about an ocean liner that sank and like a like a salvage team goes down years later to I don't know loot the gold or some friggin thing, and there were people like like the grandchildren of the people <laughs> the ship living down. Do you remember this movie? It was no. I don't know what the hell the name of that movie was. It may have even been a TV movie, and. That's for goddamn donculus. It's ridiculous. It's completely ridiculous. But it's one of those things where where this urban legend has formed around that movie to where people are absolutely convinced that it was a Titanic movie. And I think it was much like the the Poseidon Adventure. I think it was, uh, uh, you know, obviously playing on the uh-huh. whole, like legend of the Titanic type. Uh-huh. Of thing. It wasn't really the Titanic, but. It's one of those things that has just stuck over the years to a point where I remember there being some issues of, um, oh, what was that friggin' newspaper? The Weekly World News? Uh-huh. I think I actually have one. Yes. I, you know, where they're I, like people, they're, they're, they're been communicating with them through taps in the wall, right, you know, right. and shit like, bullshit like that. Yeah. <laughs> right. I love the Weekly World News. I miss that newspaper, <laughs> that quote-unquote newspaper. Because you know it was I, awesome. I used to collect books and newspaper and magazine articles about the Titanic, you know, until when James Cameron ruined it because there was like that glut of shit that came out. Right. This movie came out, but one of the things that I finally just had to stop getting was the Weekly World News because whenever it was a slow news week or whatever, or they lacked imagination, then it would be another Titanic story, and it got to the point where I was like, okay. Despite my love for the Titanic and, and you know, the, the whole legend and everything and trying to be a completist, it was like, why am I buying these stories about, you know, Captain Smith found floating in a, you know, in a... <laughs> He's 187 years old. Yeah. I'm, I'm serious. I must have, like, three or four different papers of the Weekly World News where, like, you know, Time Vortex opens up and we found another survivor floating in the middle of the Atlantic. And I was like, oh, come, you know, come on, you know. They found, you know, one of them was a baby, 
one of them was the captain. It was it was bad, but anyway, Fright Night. <laughs> <laughs> um, something else I found out today that I did not know, and I thought this was really cool, was uh, Chris Sarandon that plays the vampire in the first one, Jerry Dandridge, he's the speaking voice of Jack Skellington. From, oh, really? Yeah, basically, anytime you see Jack Skellington in, like, movies or video games or even, uh, you know, they do the, the, the holiday overlay of the Haunted Mansion out in Disneyland. They call it Haunted Mansion Holidays or something like that. Uh-huh. And they have, like... Like basically, they overlay Nightmare Before Christmas onto the Haunted Mansion. He even did that iteration of Jack Skellington. So I thought that was really cool. I had no idea. Huh. I thought that was really interesting. What, you know what I what I found really funny was when when he starts going all vampire and at the end and getting all like fucked up looking. He kind of looked like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, <laughs> he starts looking like the Governor. You know. I like his voice. I've always wondered if that's his voice or if it's, like, fucked through a computer somehow, you know? But I love the part where he's like, uh, you have to have faith for that to work on me. And it's like he's got, like, marbles in his mouth. Yeah. But it's great. He does a great, like, scary, creepy, weird-ass voice. I love it. I love his life. You know, now, the- what's up with him eating all the time? He's eating fruit all the time and stuff like that. I, d- I thought vampires didn't, like eat food I, well, I remember that apples and those, shit yeah I remember that it's funny you mentioned that I forgot all about that but I remember that being kind of a stick, sticking point for for some people when we were kids you know cause I think that might have been part of the reason why I went to see this movie too is when I found out it was about vampires because there was that you know I was never like gothy or anything as a kid but I always liked you know like a good vampire story you know like well but this one and this one stays true to like they turn in they can turn into bats right. and stuff. They don't like garlic right. and crosses and you know at a stake through the heart. Whereas sort of the new vampire thing that was starting at this time was more like crosses, Lost whatever. Words. That's old yeah. wives' tale, you yeah, know. Yeah, that's why that sort of stuff. And uh, I and don't so like so him eating stuff. was like a weird like new vampire element to it. But everything else was classic, you know. And yeah. I think the whole thing with Peter Vincent where he pulls up the cross at the first time and he's like, eh, the cross, you got to have faith in that for that to work in me, on me. I love I th- that. I think it wasn't that that Peter Vincent didn't believe in God. I think he was Jewish and not Christian. I think that's what that <laughs> was. Because there's a reference earlier to him changing his name. You know, that's right. Peter Vincent isn't even his real name. And, you know, that's a classic Hollywood thing is a lot of people would change, like, a long Jewish last name, Iz- Izzy Moskowitz, to Peter Vincent because it sounds, you know, better on a, right. you know, flows or whatever. So so I was thinking that, and I was thinking, oh, maybe that's, you know, Peter, you know, Peter Vincent was, you know, you know, really, you know, a different name was, like, Jewish and then was like, oh, wait, but... I still have faith in God, so then he was able to use the cross after once he figured that out, you know? Well, I think the probably my f- single favorite scene of the entire movie revolves around that. And it's where, you know, earlier on when they first stormed the house, there was that scene where, you know, he puts up the cross and, you know, he's very theatric, you know, very much in 
to his his movie character of Peter Vincent. Right. And he, he says something like, back, spawn of Satan or something, and, and Dandridge just laughs at him. Uh-huh. And crushes his cross and tells him, you know, you have to have faith. But then, you know, way late in the movie, toward the end, he does it again. He thrusts a cross in Dandridge's face, and Dandridge flinches, and then he realizes what he, you know, it, it's not affecting me. And he starts to go towards it, and you can see the look on Peter's face that he realizes that behind Dandridge, you know, unbeknownst to Dandridge, the sun is rising. And I love that. You know, I don't, I don't know that you could necessarily draw any sort of religious symbolism or what, but just the, that whole thing of the sun's coming up and, and Peter suddenly sees, um, I was going to say a light at the end of the tunnel. It sounds so like I'm trying to make a stupid pun, but you know what I mean? He, he sees hope. He sees, um, well, he starts realizing, no, wait, the good guys still, you know, that's, we can the, win this thing. That's yeah. ho- always the thing about vampire, you know, vampires is vampires are super strong and crazy, but you know, at the end it's always a human and it doesn't necessarily have to be, it, it's, and, and traditionally it isn't like now they're doing like the blade the vampire killer type things where it's like some super human half vampire or something like that right but I like it better when it's just like no a normal coward can kill the vampire people yeah if they if they follow follow the rules and are brave and 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 confront it you know mm-hmm. if they confront the vampire, and go forward. They really have the the advantage, you know. They have the advantage of sunlight, and you know. I mean, you can't get around most traditional vampire movies where a cross is working, of not having the the religious element. The, you know, the religious element is there. You know, there's a there's a Christian undertone to it, or or in this one, you know, I think I think that's what the whole Peter Vincent thing was saying. It was like, you don't have to be Christian, you could be Jewish, whatever. As long as you have faith in God, your cross is going to work on a vampire is basically what it was saying. But it's still sort of, it's going to work its way into into, and you know, I mean vampires are just so classically demonic devil-like creature. You know, they're seductive. Right. Uh, but yet they're ugly and kill, you know, ugly killers. But you know, once a vampire sets his sight on a lady... You know, she's putty in his hands. You know, Charlie's girlfriend doesn't, you know, she doesn't last, you know, five minutes on the dance floor before she's just like, oh, yeah, do me, you know, (laughs) from running for her life to like, (laughs) excuse me, (laughs) here's my neck. You said the magic word that I think really goes straight to the core of why I love this movie so much is rules. It, there are established rules to the vampire lore, and this movie follows them, and it it, it it plays with it expertly. And you can see to where the the writer didn't feel boxed in by you know all the rules and all the limitations and no, things he like had that. Fun he with actually, them. yeah, had fun and embraced them, and I love that. That's why because... the movie works. That's why it still stands up. It, it embraces the classic vampire, you know, trope and just 
and 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 for the time it, it modernized it it updated it without like rebooting it you know right it it, it brought uh, a hammer vampire story into modern suburban life and it did it very well I think this one did it better as far as, like you say, the updating thing. I think it's done it better than any version I've ever seen because, you know, a lot of people of our age or in this era that I knew, you know, they, they were either Fright Night people or they were Lost Boys people. And I didn't know a lot of people that, that kind of embraced both camps. I never liked Lost Boys. I, and I, I think I the reason Lost was Boys it didn't was okay. follow the rules. Yeah, Lost Boys... And well, and at the same time, there was also Near Dark came out around here. I don't know if you've ever seen Near Dark. I have, no, I haven't ever seen that, but that's another one I've heard doesn't follow the rules, so that's why Well, I no, it sort it. of changed the rules a little bit, but it, the ending of it really disappointed. I think it was Greencapped who has told me, you know, you got to see it. And But that was like an awesome like ahead of its time horror you know sort of redo you know modernization of vampires that 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 you know sort of predated you know our sort of modern portrayal of them but it was really good too it was also a really low budget movie you know and uh but well acted it worked out really well i i really enjoyed it the ending was kind of a cop-out in it Mm-hmm. As far and that's where it was a cop out was in the rules of vampires and and it wasn't even because they changed the rules they didn't follow the rules that they set down they changed huh. them at the end for the the um, benefit of a happy ending you know otherwise wow. if you didn't change the rules the ending was going to be tragic and I guess they didn't want a tragic ending it would have made perfect sense with the movie but. But that was another that was the uh, that was another good vampire movie at that time. I never liked Lost Boys either. I thought it was okay, but it was more of a teenage movie with the vampire stuff tacked yeah. on, and the vampire stuff didn't work for me as well. And that it had the was fucking more of a chick flick. I, I hate Corey Feldman. Oh really? I, I like Corey Feldman in Stand by Me and Goonies. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And not, I, not so much even that. Oh, I like him in that. Something about Corey Feldman makes me want to just strangle the life out of him. Oh, dude. Something now, see, about him just Corey says... I never liked, but Corey I didn't, Feldman I liked. I never uh, liked either of the Corys, and when you put the two of them together, it was like <laughs> douchebag explosion. He's funny. He's very funny in, um, in The Burbs. I always thought he was really good in The Burbs. Like, like his character in Lost Boys is so that obnoxious, like, character that do- doesn't re- exist in reality. It was the '80s, like, cool guy nerd sort of character, and you know, and w- when I watch it, it's like this guy's a fucking asshole. <laughs> but I know that it was written, and he was acting it to be like this guy's really cool. You know, he's a guy who knows what's going on. It, it, it was. Oh, I hate him. When he had that reality <laughs> show, I just wanted to put a pencil in his eye. Now there was uh, somebody that should have been uh, a breakout character in this. That uh, you know, shortly we'll get into the sequel. That 
I, I never understood why we never saw anything more, which was uh, Evil Ed. Because everybody that watched Fright Night, everybody loved Evil Ed. Everybody I don't understand was, it. Yeah. yeah. I hated Evil Ed. But, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I just... I, I, I think... And it was the actor who played him. I think he went too broad with that. I... You know, his character wasn't believable. Everybody else played their characters sort of close to reality. He was a little... You know what he reminded me of? Fucking Screech from Saved by the Bell. (laughs) You know, that character that... uh, Urkel, you know? Clown shoes, basically, you know? And, you know, everything he did was like this goofy shit. And it was just played a little too broadly. If he dialed it down a little bit... Crispin Glover could have done it. That's what I say. Crispin <laughs> Glover could have pulled off a weirdo of that level and made it, like, appealing to me. But, like, yeah, but, I mean, they totally set him, set, I, I mean, maybe they couldn't get the actor or something, but, I mean, what, why was an Evil Ed in Fright Night 2? I don't understand it. I don't know. I, I was looking today trying to find some information on him and, what I what I found, I doubted the veracity of very much. You know, it, it seems like every child actor or young actor that like dropped out of sight at some point in their lives, whether they were on you know Eight Is Enough or The Brady Bunch or Fright Night, has some legend around them uh, how they got into porn or something at some point in their career. Well, according to whatever the hell I was looking at today on this guy, uh, Stephen Jeffries is his name. Evidently. Um, he was a 90s gay porn actor for a while. But I, I looked at that and I said, I don't know. Is that real or is that some bullshit somebody's putting in there? You know, well, let me put it this way. Let me put it this way. California. Hollywood. Yeah, child actor. Money. Well, I'm not saying it's, it's like impossible. That could have never happened. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that. How many fucking actors have we heard that rumor? It's because they're, they're, I don't know which ones to believe anymore because I've heard the well, same yeah. thing about like Doogie Howser. I think know, it happens time. a lot. I think it happens a lot. You know, well, well uh, I mean, it's uh, Screech <laughs> is a prime example. Screech does pornos. <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> Well, I mean, I've heard the same thing about it's you know, the I little mean, curly-haired girl from Family Affair and the little girl from uh, the Brady Bunch and all the boys in the Brady Bunch. You know, it's like every child actor or young actor at some point, you know, was like a, you know, strung out crack addict or, you know, into porn or both or, you know, given $5. I think it happens. And I'm like, yeah, I, yeah, I just don't know which ones to, to actually believe. Believe all of them. Believe Why not? Them. You don't have time to, you, you don't have enough hours in the day to differentiate. <laughs> just believe all of them and the hell with it, man. Why not? It's not going to make any difference, right? Just believe them all, man. It's all true. Think about it. You know, they're little, when you're a kid... I, I, I don't know. I'm just too cynical, man. On that, on that subject, and I'm sorry, I, I apologize to the audience. I know this has not a goddamn thing to do with Friday night, but I've been looking for a place to bring it up, and it might as well come up here. My wife tells me the other night, aw, Tom Bosley died. And I'm thinking, Tom Bosley, Tom Bosley, and it finally hit me. He was the father the in father Happy, Happy Days. Days. And I did the same thing with him that I did when uh, when June Cleaver died and when Grandpa Munster died. I was like, that motherfucker was still alive? I thought he died 20 years ago. I'm serious. How many of these actors are going to die 
that I thought were already dead. That Lots I, of I them. Read their obituary at some point in my life, and it was like, oh, so and so died. I'm I'm telling you, man, something weird's going on in Hollywood where these people keep dying over and over again, and I'm the only one that knows it, that remembers. Well, I think Ed McMahon's died like four times. Kurt Vonnegut <laughs> died like eight times. <laughs> See, I'm telling you, I, I, before I'm gone. I, I was hearing about Kurt one Vonnegut. One time I'm going to hear about Grandpa Monster dying. I, I, but then I'm, there's always something like all of a sudden I'm seeing a video of, of Ray Bradbury giving a speech. And it's like, what? <laughs> he was a little old man when I was a little kid, you know? And it was right. just like, I thought he was almost dead when I was in high school. Is he alive or dead now? Because He's alive. I get, see, I get he's alive and Arthur kicking. Arthur C. Clarke confused all the time. Arthur C. Clarke is dead, but he's, okay. not lo- he's not very long dead. He lived to a ripe old age. He was, a cra- he was crazy. He was like a Ben Franklin type nudist guy. There needs to be an app on, I don't like, my computer or my phone or something. Just this little app where you punch in a name and it just says alive or dead. Death pool. There's got to be some sort of death. There's a death. I mean, you can go like people have fantasy football and you can, if you want to be morbid enough, you can join death pool where you place money. On. No, 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 Not, nothing like that, and nothing. Yeah, but they would have a database. Like, but they, but those would be the people to go to because they would have a data. They're keeping track of who's alive and dead. Yeah, but see, I don't want to. I don't want to go to all the trouble to actually have to like Google it or, or go to a oh, wiki. Well, I'm talking just a maybe a someone little, will do it for you. A and, simple little and send app, you a link. just a little tiny window where you yes, type in Grandpa Monster, and it just said, you know, there's like a, a green light for alive or a red light. For, <laughs> and that's that's all I yeah. Beep, That's beep. all I need. <laughs> yeah, exactly. One beep alive, two beeps, you dead. That's all I need. Because it's I'm, too I'm, bad you don't know how to do. It's too bad you don't know how to program apps. You could program it and send it to the send it to the iPhone. Somebody should do that. And if you do, you better pay Scott Gardner because he'll come and find you and kick your ass. I just want one. That's all. I, I'm, I'm, then I'm, give I'm him one free. Violent, yeah, that's it. I'm not a violent person. I just or he'll you come know, and kick your food. ass. <laughs> Because he's because he's pissed off about all those child actors who've gone into lives of pornography and drugs. <laughs> Pisses him off. Yeah. Well, I've got one more note on oh, okay. Fright Night, and um, it's a drinking game. Oh. All right. I There's. That. I have two variations. I have the like. Do you want to get really drunk, and do you want to go to the hospital? <laughs> and the do you want to get really drunk is you take a drink every time Charlie's mother says his name. Charlie? Yep. Yep. Every time his mother says his name, you take a drink. Every time somebody, anybody says Charlie's name, that's when you go get your stomach oh pumped. Oh, my God. Yeah. I swear to God in this movie, man, every 10 seconds someone's going, Charlie? 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 It's just like, maybe people just like to yell out the name Charlie. Do you remember the old Charlie Tuna commercials? Yeah, sorry, Charlie. Sorry, Charlie. Every time that scene, and I love the scene. It's one of my favorite scenes in the movie where where Charlie goes to try to get Peter to to help him. You know, and it's, it's the nice little touching. Yes, scene. It's, it's like the the Kirk and McCoy moment in the yes. movie. Yes, I th- I know where you're going, and I 
think I. He, he says sorry, Charlie, and yeah, every time and you he know, says it, I snicker just a little bit. I, it, well, it, it had to be. It had to be. I want to make a movie about Charles Manson someday, just so I can have some scene in there where someone goes, "Sorry, Charlie," and blah 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 blah. Just so you can say I made a Manson movie where someone said, "Sorry, Charlie." That should be the title. <laughs> but of nobody the would get. Yeah, sorry, Charlie. Sorry, Charlie. <laughs> All right, on that note, um, we're going to take a little break, and we'll be back with Fright Night 2, Electric Boogaloo. Boogaloo. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're so cool, Brewster. terrifying night of your life ah! well steady your nerves ah! you're white as a sheet and prepare yourself for a shock ah! because if you were scared before it's not really over it imagine how scared you'll be now welcome to fright night you could say that again partner yes fright night part two it's happening again such a thing simply couldn't happen twice, Charlie. Can I have a bite? It is happening again. Here come the vampires. Got off the slab at the morgue just to be here tonight. And there goes the neighborhood. I can hardly go breaking into my neighbor's apartments, accusing them of being vampires. That hurts. They'll stop at nothing to get what they came for. I'd kill for a cup of coffee. Enjoy a delicious evening of thrills and chills. Come join in the devilish doings of Fright Night Part 2 as Roddy McDowell returns to do the job he does best. I kill vampires. Fright Night Part 2. You scream your head off. All right, we're back, and it's a few years later in the 80s, and now it's time for Fright Night 2, the sequel to Fright Night, Woohoo! which in a lot of ways was at least equal to, in some ways, even better than Fright Night, I thought. Oh, wow. Upon the second viewing of it, and I remember sort of feeling that way the first time, too. Really? Yeah. There, I... I it was one of those first movies where the sequel ups the ante while playing to the formula. That's true. That's very true. And it did it really well. And it was one of those sequels where I thought, this is going to be really stupid. Because what's the what's the odds of lightning striking twice? You know, it's like, okay, 
you know, I can believe the coincidence of a vampire in suburbia and Peter Vincent just happening to be in that area as a TV show host and stuff, but vampires again, you know, come on, how often does that happen? But they thought of that in writing this and came up with a good explanation as there's pissed off vampires because Charlie killed their maker. Right, the revenge, yeah. And that added a whole different edge to it, and they made the the lead vampire female and hot. And uh, so they they sort of turned the tables on it while sticking to the formula, but making Charlie the the victim of the vampire this time, you know, the one in, in danger of falling to the vampire, which... I thought was pretty, you know, pretty witty the first time, you know, especially back then, you know. Holy shit, it just hit me what the formula is here. I, I, I've been, for years, I've been grasping to try to put my finger on this feeling of, of familiarity between the formula of the first one and the formula of the second one, and I finally hit on what it is. It, it's the superhero villain uh, formula, the superhero movie villain formula, which is, you know, in the first movie, you know, Batman fights, you know, the Joker. But then in the next movie, he might fight three or four villains, you know? And that's kind of what it's like in this one. I mean, arguably there were two bad guys in the first one. You know, there was was Dandridge and then there was his His manservant, which it turned out to be, what was he, like a zombie or something? Some sort of zombie. Golem something, Yeah. yeah. But then in this one, one of the things I really do like about this one is that it's not just, you know, the head vampire and maybe one or two henchmen. You know, you've got a, a whatever that guy is, a, again, a golem another, or something. You've got a werewolf. You've got another vampire on top of that. And I don't know. If, you, was he supposed to be a werewolf? Or Yeah, he was supposed to be a werewolf, I guess. Mm-hmm. And he was sort of the and he was sort of the evil Ed character. He was the goofy yes. comedy relief. I guy. love that guy. Um, that's uh, I'm not sure how you pronounce his last name. It's G R I E S. It's Grise, I guess. John Grise. Oh, it's probably Gree. It's probably Grease? Yeah, Maybe it's Gree. Just Gree. Now he is the same guy that was the Wolfman in the Monster Squad, and I love that guy. And. Uh, he was uh, the uncle in Napoleon Dynamite when that was out. Oh, not long ago. yeah. Oh, my I, God. I don't know if you ever watched Lost, the no, TV show Lost, yet. but he was also, he was Benjamin Linus's dad on Lost. And I, I, I do, I love well, that guy. He, 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 he pulled off that the over-the-top comedy character. Oh, he was, so. he was yeah. more He was more in line to what I would like would have liked Evil Ed to have been like in the yeah. first one. He was a little more. I'll give you that. Yeah. Um, believable as a as a character. What's funny is that he played um, a wolf man or werewolf in both this and Monster Squad. Died kind of in a chump kind of way in both movies, and in both movies had like the Schwarzenegger esque one liner as he expires. Because in dies. this movie, he goes. Uh, bullseye dude and then he dies and then in the monster squad um they shoot him with a i think it was a silver bullet and he's like he says something like thank you and then he dies <laughs> so it's cheesy both ways but you know, he was great i really like i liked him better actually even though the 
the makeup effects of his Wolfman thing are better in this movie. I like his Wolfman character better in Monster Squad because there's a that great sequence where uh, he he goes to the um, police station. And he's like, "I'm a vamp. I'm a werewolf. I'm aware. You gotta lock me up. It's a full moon. I'm a werewolf." And he's like flipping out. And they're like, "Yeah, yeah, buddy, calm down." So he pulls a Rambo and starts like just kicking their asses. And uh, he grabs one of their guns and fires off a couple like warning shots. And he's like, "Lock me up!" And then that's when they waste him. But it, you know, because they're they're not silver bullets, he doesn't die, and he ends up coming back and like tearing shit up. And it's great. I really, I thought he was actually probably the best character in Monster Squad. Well, the, the funny thing is, now that you mentioned Monster Squad, I think on Halloween at the Dryden Theater, the double feature is Fright Night and Monster Squad. Oh. Yeah, it's too bad. I just watched Fright Night too. Yeah, it's they, they don't have a that great of a lineup this month, but Damn that it. was the oh. that was the highlight of of the October month. There's a few other horror movies, but that's the highlight for sure. Damn it all! Hey man, would... you live near Disney. I live near like. The mo- I consider Rochester the movie cap, the real movie capital, the cinema capital of the world, as oh, opposed absolutely. to Hollywood. Yeah, because you got Kodak. There. We got yeah, Kodak, absolutely. and you know, it's just yeah. There's a lot of movieness here. Monster Squad. I'm pretty sure I've only ever seen on video. I, I don't think that was was that we never went to the theater to see that did we or the drive-in? I think by the time that was out, you were probably in the in the Air Force and I was in college, yeah. and you know we just weren't getting to, you know Monster yeah. Squad probably wouldn't have been high on our agenda of stuff to see. It was more like Batman at that time. I loved that movie though. I, when you know, I finally that, saw it, I was just like, "Oh, this up. is awesome!" I, I as a matter of fact, I was not into seeing that movie, and you're the one who like. When we lived together here in Rochester, you were like, no, you got to watch it. And then I was like, holy shit, that's just a tribute to Universal Monsters. Dude, it's it's the Goonies meet the Universal Monsters. That's totally what it is. I mean, you could even retitle that fucking movie as that. You know, like, you know, like back in the day, one of the last Universal movies was uh, Abbott Costello Costello meet the Wolfman or Frankenstein or whatever the hell it was. You could totally do that. You could totally do, you know, the Goonies meet the Universal Monsters, you know, and it works. The same the same title works because that is completely what that movie is. We need to do that one sometime. And speaking of formula for Fright Nights, I think boobs show up roughly at about the same time count in this movie <laughs> that they do in the last movie. The, the sole pair of boobs that show up in both, you know, in Fright Night movies. The only problem is, is, is it's not the pair I wanted to see because Tracy Lynn, I don't know what happened to this girl. I don't know why she dropped off the face of the planet, but oh my she's God. The she lead, she's smoked, the lead vampire. Smoke. No, 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 not her. Uh, Charlie's new girlfriend. Oh, his new girlfriend, yeah. yeah, We said bye-bye to Amanda Bierce, which I gotta be honest, I never found... I think part of my problem with Amanda Bierce is she really does remind me of my sister. She's too chot. She was... Well, she was sort of like Joni... (laughs) Joni loves She was sort of like Joni mixed with Linda Hamilton. A little bit of both of them mixed together. You know what I'm saying? You're right. It does totally look like Joni uh, Cunningham. You're right. You're right. I never thought of that before, but you're I would. I, I, right. I, I thought. She, I thought she was cute. I thought she was a. I. I. Uh, once again, Lynn I think she was like... a more annoying character. I thought those characters. She was a more. 
reasonable. Bo and Charlie was less annoying in this movie. They were college age and they were a little more mature. And you but know, Tracy Lynn to me looks like like one of the. And I'm not talking skanky. I'm not talking like all splayed out or anything. I'm talking very artsy fartsy, very airbrushed. She reminds me of an '80s. Uh, Playboy centerfold. centerfold. She's gorgeous. I mean, drop dead beautiful girl. See, I did. I didn't even pay any. I'd re, I'd go right for the va- the vampire. See, Regina. you like the, what is it with the skanky chicks with you? It's well, I think our definitions of skanky are quite different, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. She I, she reminded me of Kate Bush. I think they they based her on Kate Bush. Kate Bush. Who's Kate, Kate Bush? Kate Bush was a singer in the 80s. It, she was kind of this weird... She had this very operatic voice. And, like, a lot of the people that were sort of Thomas Dolby fans were into Kate she Bush, this, too. She the national anthem at she one point? She might have at one point. I think she's British or Scottish originally. But she did very... Her shows were very theatrical, just like, you know, Regina's performance art was... Right. It was very... You know, she would do very... Not as much like dunking her face in blood, but, you know, very theatrical <laughs> stuff involving smoke and, and you know, costumes and stuff. And the hairstyle and just the whole thing. I think they were playing off the, the Kate Bush aspect with her. And I had the hots for Kate Bush back then so i i like dark-haired girls too over i favor them over blondes although my tastes run the you see i i just don't picture the vampire lady as skanky she's skanky like skanky to me is like cigarette you know like old beaten down prostitute with like you know, extra long cigarette hanging out of her mouth, just like, hey, honey, how you do? You know, that's like <laughs> skanky to me, you know? <laughs> I, I, yeah, no, I know what you mean. No, those Leave the me, money I, I on the floor, honey. You know, those I classify more as like, you know, uh, uh, like used up old barmaid type of thing. Yeah, I, I know what you're saying, though. Now, when when and where did you see this one for the first time? Because I, I saw I this actually... one in the theaters. I went to the theaters. Did to see you this. really? Yes. Oh, after seeing Fright Night, I was just like, "Holy shit, I'm going to see!" <clears throat> and I remember being very skeptical of it when it when they were making it. And I I seem to remember I held Siskel and Ebert in very high esteem. I remember seeing a Siskel and Ebert review or or reading a review. And maybe it would have to have been Time or the Whole Earth Review magazine where they said that, you know, surprisingly, this movie holds up to its predecessor, which was, you know, a sleeper hit and was a lot better than anybody expected. So I was like, I'll go see it. And I remember going, hey, I like this. It upped the ante. It pulled out. It, 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 it played the formula, but it took it in a few different directions, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it, 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 I mean – just like the other one, it had some stupid, you know, the whole Peter Vincent getting taken to the loony bin, you know, and then the escape from the loony bin was really kind of goofy, but it was fun. I swear to God, that long-haired guy who knocked everybody out, I was like, is that Adam Sandler? Is that like teenage no. Adam Sandler? No, it's not. 
But I was I'd just... love to know who he is, though, because every time I see him in this movie, I feel I should know who he is, and I and I don't. But I I feel like he's important. Well, I saw him. I I can't remember. I didn't write down his name when I looked at his name in the credits, and it it, it you know nothing. It triggered absolutely nothing. So I don't know. I don't know who that guy is. It's funny that you focused on that scene because for me, there there's really only one aspect of this movie that doesn't work for me and there's one scene using that aspect that colossally doesn't work for me and that's um charlie's psychiatrist oh yeah okay one he's not a good actor uh you know with all apologies to whoever that actor is he may have been great as pumbaa in the lion king but beyond that he sucks on screen he's just he doesn't sell the part and the part that I, I swear to God, I have to fast forward every time I watch this movie through this part is where um, he comes and makes bail for um, Charlie's new girlfriend. What the hell is her name? Alex? Alex, yeah. He makes bail for her, and then they're driving somewhere. They're driving they, to the state hospital to. That's right, that's get right. Peter and, and, they, out. and they stop at the railroad tracks yes and out of fucking nowhere he's a vampire and he tries to kill her as if that wasn't bad enough and all right now you know why if you're a vampire uh, at least so far as i'm aware you're a shape changer you can be anything vampires aren't male or female they they can be anything yeah, they can sort be of like this demonic yeah just right. sort of they're, bad they're thing. Like, yeah, they're yeah. androgynous bat creatures. They can be a bat or a wolf or a dog or, uh, you know, there's other things that they can turn Bugs, into. As well. you know, there's all, Bugs, yeah, anything. Depending on what, yeah. So if you're a vampire, why in the hell would you choose for your form when you're stalking someone to kill them this fat, bald-headed, slow-moving... To gain her confidence... Yeah, but once he's revealed himself to be a vampire, he's lost any sort of um, bond, you know, that right. they had. Well, he started doing, like, he was cutting her off and stuff. What's stupid, though, is when she stakes him, she doesn't get him. And right. what he does is he goes, hey, you know, you, you, can you help me out? And then he, fall, and then he like, falls on it, like, kills himself. Well, Why was he doing that? Before that, he goes into this whole, you know, because he's a psychiatrist. So I don't know if this is supposed to be funny or, or what, but it's not funny. It's, it's just fucking Dumb. stupid. The part where he's going, I'm feeling this sensation. It, it it hurts. It's not pleasant. And he goes into this whole spiel while he's being staked to death. And it's like, okay, I, that's the one part that pulls me right well, out of Well, that would have been cool if he was just bad. toying with her. If he was just right, going, I'm yeah. feeling, uh, you know, and I'm feeling a lot of hostility from you right now. And then he pulls <laughs> right. the stake out. That would have been funny, you know. Right. It would have been like in um, American Werewolf in London when his friend shows up with a shredded face and picks up the Mickey Mouse doll. And he's like, hi, I'm Mickey Mouse, you know, and he's just like joking around <laughs> right. with his buddy. Right. <laughs> but it wasn't. It, and it, no, and then not. it was this weird thing where he like, and then it was like, they should have explained because when you first see the guy, he's in broad daylight and stuff. There's no foreshadowing that he's right. going to be a vampire. And right. I could understand if these vampires staked out Charlie 
enough that they, you know, they're like, okay, let's get his shrink too, you know, we'll get, we'll turn everybody into vampires around him and we'll just fuck with his head. But they don't really explain, he's just a vampire. He just turns on her or something. You know, I think it would have made more sense if he had made a deal with the vampires and they were going to turn him into one if he brought, and then he would like pulls a gun on her and says, sorry, you know, I made a deal with somebody who's going to really hook me up, you know. The only way I can figure that that scene is in the movie, the the reason it's there is to as a mechanism for her to get his to ID, use his ID. But I think it would have been much better. It would have worked so much more smoothly in the context of the movie. All right, you know the same scene where they stop at the railroad tracks. That instead of him attacking her, they get attacked by one of the underlings of Regina and, you know, have it like tear the roof off the car and slash this guy's throat open or something. She kicks the body out, you know, and and tears off, you know, tears ass out of there in the car and, you know, continues to the state hospital or something like that. You know, know, just something different. But that whole sequence... Ah, it just it bugs me. You know, but other than that, you see, I don't want to be down on the movie right out of the gate, though, because other than that, I you know I really enjoy this movie. I I don't think it's as good as the first one, um, but I do enjoy it a lot. And watching it again today for the first time in a lot of years, because I haven't seen this one near as many times as I've seen the first one. I I can practically recite the first movie. Right, right. But you know, this is the first time I've seen this one in quite a number of years. And I was surprised, again, by how much I really enjoyed it and how much I think this one really holds up the, the same way as, uh, nice as the first special effects. One. I mean, oh, yeah. the scene where Regina shows up in his room as the fog, which yeah. could be really cheesy, but the way they did it, they swirled the fog and this bolt of fog comes up and very smoothly becomes her. Becomes yeah. her. And yeah. it's like a, a probably a simple, like you know, optical printer shot, you know, it's, you know, I mean, it wasn't like they didn't have computer animation then it was, you know, they, they, but they did, it came out very smoothly and it doesn't look like a special effect. It looks like she's just standing there all of a sudden. And I was like, that was really nice and very subtle. And I love practical special effects. Yeah, me too. And God, you know, I'm, I'm hoping I'm really hoping against hope that that we're going to see that, that pendulum swing back the other way to where where more movies are going to start to embrace I think the old, you know, the old way. I think the, it will I don't think it'll go back to the old way, but I think that once the novelty of CGI wears off to the people who are making the movies and to the people who are watch the general public and the less critical fanboyish, once that wears off and they realize, you know, it's still going to be, you know, we don't have to do this as CGI. It'll probably be just as expensive to do or even cheaper to do it as a practical effect. And it'll look better. And maybe we can we can doctor, you know, we can take the, the wires out now with with CG, you know. You can, you can have, you know, there's a million movies where people have, like, are flying that they could have just taken the wires out with CG right. where they couldn't do it before and they can gussy up practical effects but I'm hoping that they that they do make a comeback and that they 
you know, use the best aspects of practical effects, you know, instead of as a novelty, using all this stuff as a tool. What's the best tool for the job, you know? And I'm, I'm hoping that that will just become the norm out of practicality once the whole, you know, novelty of it wears off. Well, you know, I, I watch a lot of documentaries about the making of movies. You know, a lot of the the special features. Yeah, and, and well, they're not as interesting anymore for the new movies because it's just a guy sitting in front of a computer literally right. 90% of the time now. But I'm telling you, I, I hear a lot of these guys. And, and granted, it's a lot of the old guys that worked on movies like, right. you know, Jaws or The Empire Strikes Back or Superman the movie. But I'm more and more often when I watch one of these documentaries or, or special featurettes or whatever, more and more often I'm hearing these guys saying the same thing, which is this movie really holds up and the reason i think this movie really holds up is we did it we had to do it the old-fashioned way we didn't have a computer right we could just digitally take out you know boats on the horizon or whatever we we had to do everything as a physical effect and that's why it holds up 20 and 30 years later okay think about in this movie here's more formula there's another schwarzenegger guy the 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 homunculus sort of guy the the golem kind of guy ryan thompson i love that guy yeah the bug eater when his uh when his death comes around and he gets his abdomen slashed open that's a classic practical effect you know his abdomen (laughs) and bugs and you would have to pick the one moment i don't think works very well as a practical effect because he he, oh i love it But, but but i'm not saying how it works but think about if they made that movie today what would have happened it would have been slice and then it would have been wiggle wiggle and then like boom it would have exploded with entrails and bugs flying you know it would have been so much more this was more like oh it looks like he's got a scratch and then you notice oh no (laughs) yeah he's sliced wide open you know and then he's just like and you're like well why is that even bothering him he's obviously some sort of superhero and then you see okay he's made of bugs or whatever but now you know who that guy is right that's that's brian thompson he was in uh in the very beginning of terminator when schwarzenegger walks all naked through the griffith observatory or wherever they're at and uh you got those three punks and the one with the spiky hair is bill paxton Uh uh-huh and then there's the one that puts his finger in Schwarzenegger's face and he goes, nothing clean, right? You know, wash day tomorrow. That's Brian Thompson. And then uh, he was also the uh, the big jawed, freaky looking uh, killer guy in Cobra with Sylvester Stallone. Oh, God. Uh, I just, <laughs> I was just online watching chunks of Cobra because somebody was like, was it Cobra a great movie? It was a great well, movie. Well, I just flat flashed back actually no i'm thinking of commando i'm sorry was was it commando was the one where he fucking wings those (laughs) wings saw blades at people oh i don't know the only thing i can remember about cobra was there was that shot where schwarzenegger's standing on like a gangster's lawn or something and just fucking mowing these people down yeah by the hundreds and if you look there's no belt in the M60, <laughs> and I was like, 
Uh, this guy's good. Work without bullets, too. Yeah, this damn, guy's this guy's. Good. No wonder he's the governor. <laughs> he's gonna be president someday, even though he's not a natural born citizen. Man, look at him just yeah, wipe out those people with no bullets. You've got to be pretty good to fire an M60 with no bullets in it. Yeah, yeah. but he was uh, he was a, one of the uh, Klingons in Generation, and I don't know if you ever watched any of Enterprise or not. But towards the end of that I've series, I've only seen the first episode. He was uh, he was one of the Romulans that was in charge of this stealth ship program thing that they were doing. He he actually, as much as I like him, he actually made a pretty shitty Romulan though, because just because he's a freaky looking guy, you know, he's got that. He's that... too Aryan looking to be a Romulan. <laughs> yeah. He is. He's too Teutonic. He's oh, he's a he Schwarzenegger like. A... He's he's like a Dolph yeah. Lundgren type. That's what I thought of him as the Dolph Lundgren guy when in he this would movie. make a great captain nazi if they ever make a uh a, a captain marvel you know shazam movie i want to see brian thompson as captain nazi that would be fucking i don't know cool. if in, th- in this day and age you would actually have a character in a movie called captain nazi why i mean there's they're like the last safe villain that everybody the, 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 hate, everybody you know? agrees upon well not that you know not everybody but you're gonna always <laughs> find somebody but i don't know it's just it's political correctness doesn't work by it works just by the fact that the word not that i don't know captain Nazi. it sounds too like you know, there there'd be people like saying, "I don't know. What if the kids decide that Captain Nazi's cool oh, because everybody yeah, like loved the Joker yeah. in The Dark Knight?" You know, yeah, all I of a sudden there's saying. kids going, "I don't know. Captain Nazi was awesome." awesome. <laughs> you know, it's it's not going to sit well. You know, it doesn't sit well with people. <laughs> but yeah, he would make an awesome Captain Nazi. He looked like every Nazi that Harrison Ford punched out in Raiders of the yes. Lost Ark, you know? Yeah, he does. He looks like the guy that uh, that he he lets the plane rotors chop Yes, yes. <laughs> Watch out, old chum. <laughs> he literally of, becomes when, chum, too. Yeah, that's what I say. That's what I said. Yeah, he becomes, he gets chopped into chum. <laughs> oh, and... And now it's that we're talking, you know, when we were mentioning Star Trek, how could we have been mentioning all this Star Trek without saying there's Merritt Buttrick? Merritt Buttrick showing up in this, yeah. That part um, with him, where he, you know, because he he gets bitten, and then there's the news thing where he died, and right. I didn't remember him coming back because like neither I said, did it's been I. Since I watched this, so that part where he comes back. And he has a line that says something to the effect of, yeah, I just got up off the slab to to be here, be with here you. for this. Really upset me because this was his last film. He he died not long after this. And I want to say he may have even... No, I'm probably wrong. I was going to say he may have been dead when the movie actually was released. I can't remember. But by the time I saw it, I think he was dead because... I'm really impressed that you say that you saw this in the theater because I've never known anybody who caught this in the theater because I remember when they announced the movie and it seemed like I waited forever to catch it. And I kept waiting for it to come and waiting for it to come and it never came out. And then I was in a video store one day with some friends of mine. This is when I was in the service. And 
they had it on the, the like the coming soon board in the video store that Fright Night too, and I was like, damn, it went straight to video, and then that's what made me nervous that it was gonna suck. So until I looked it up today and was doing like a little bit of research about it, I was always under the impression that it was a straight to video release. I didn't think it ever went to theaters, but something I read today said it did have like a a very 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 limited um, theatrical release and only grossed something like. It was like four or five million or something, which even back then was like fucking yeah. horrible. You know? Yeah. So. No, I remember. I remember making a point to go to see it and being like, "Wow, this is really good." Yeah. But there was some fucky behind the scenes thing, some drama that went on with this movie. I think it was one of those ones that was made by one of those. Remember, a lot of this happened in like the late '80s, where there was these movie companies that popped up they had like a big release then they they started churning out all these movies and everything was a flop and then they started to fail and go out of business oh yeah well they would usually just have one movie that would just you know that that would be a horrifying flop and would yeah and would Destroy put them into man. bankruptcy yeah, yeah. And, then, and and then it I, would, I want to say that uh, I'm sorry and then it would totally skew like all the distribution of the movies and a lot of movies went up right. on the shelf and I want to say that this was one of those deals where whoever the parent company was that owned Fright Night 2, something happened with them and it fucked something up with Fright Night 2, either theatrically or home video or both, to where something weird went on. And I, I just, I can remember this long like limbo period of waiting for this damn movie to come out because I knew it It was there was even announcements like it was done it was in the can and you know they kept bumping back dates and all that I mean I wish I could remember more details on that but I just I know that it was out there taunting me it's too bad because it could have done well it was it's not a bad movie at all it's not a bad movie no you're you're absolutely right you know I, I, I equate this movie much the same way as like Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters 2 because that's another one where yeah. I think the, the the sequel it's not quite as good, but, but it's, it's still got a some really moments. Solid yeah. Movie. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's the formula. It's a formula. It's the formula with variations. They played the exactly. formula of the last movie with variations. Yeah. The weird thing about Merritt Buttrick in this one is I remember I when 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 he showed up when his character showed up and you know and was going to the party and stuff. And then I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. He has a friend who gets seduced by these guys. And uh, I remember that whole subplot and the character of Merritt Buttrick. I remember him to be more developed. I see, I, I, for some reason, I thought there was more scenes with him and his relationship with Charlie was more developed. I, I, I don't know. I see, when I saw that, it's like wait, all of a sudden, here he is. His character just sort of shows up. Hey, Charlie, I'm Merritt Buttrick. And then the next thing you know, Charlie's watching him get bit. Right. And I always remember there being more to it. Because I remember when I first saw it in the movie theater, that scene being like, no, no, I hope his friend isn't getting bit, you know. But at this point when I'm watching it, it's like you don't even see him long enough to get you know, to care whether he's getting bit by the right. vampires or not, you know? <laughs> so I was wondering why I even cared, you know, at that point, maybe because I was like, didn't want, you know, Kirk's son getting wiped out yet again. And, right. uh, but, uh, um, 
I just seem to remember that whole subplot being more developed than it was, and that there that you know there being more friends of his that were in peril from the vampires. But then again, I haven't seen it literally in over twenty years. You know, twenty five years. Right. Something like that. That's crazy. <laughs> it is. Yeah, that is crazy. But yeah, you, you know, now that you say that, you, you're, you're right, and I, it almost makes me wonder if maybe there was a, a, another release out there that had more I'm, scenes in it. I or might have like seen. That. I might have seen. You know, there when you know, who knows if it was a fucked up release, there might have been different prints of it. You know, touring around. Yeah. The first time I saw that movie, Dream Dreamscape. It yeah. had it had an uh, a a cutscene, you know, an alternate take in the movie. Like they a scene played out, and then there was a weird little, you know, with an X on the screen, that. and then I the scene played. I because re, I remember I said you got I told you you got to see this movie, and then and and then the whole scene played out again, and the first time I saw it, I thought. When I was watching it, I'm like, ooh, this is some weird dream, you know, and it's now it's repeating and it's going to be different, you know, but it wasn't. But it was because the performances were different, but it was the same lines. Right. It was just a different take. And then I realized by the way it was just so roughly cut in there that it was a mistake, you know. So, you know, and especially in those days, you know, there could there was less. It was a more tangible, physical thing, and there was more chances of things being fucked up. So I could have very well seen a cut of it with, you know, more scenes of Charlie and his college friends, you know. I I remember that, but then again, you know, you, mem- you, you know how memory is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah. then again, I've been proven – there's been a lot of times where there's been stuff that I'd seen that I thought was a complete – something that I made out of whole cloth you know from when I was a little kid that I would see and be like oh no that was actually a TV show and it's pretty much yeah that did happen you know so who knows but I definitely remember there being more Merritt Buttrick or at least being more attached to his character in this one basically he shows up gets turned into a vampire and then gets splashed with holy water and melts into goo that was a great effect. I like that one, and I like where they wrapped the. Uh, that one was fantastic. Where yeah, he the was roller skating vampire. Yeah, where he's glowing yeah. and melting at the same time. Great that effect. Looked beautiful. I mean, that looks yeah. like some of the computer-generated stuff that they yeah. do now. Because whatever they did, they had like some clear melty gel, but it it carried light through it, you know. So it yeah. was glowing and melting at the same time. It was awesome. I, I love that, and I would I would put that effect up against any modern effect that has come along, you know, in the interim of years between when this movie came out and modern day, because it, it holds up. It looks fantastic, and it totally makes up for the the shitty death of of Brian Thompson just moments before this one, because I. You know, I like the idea, you know, that he gets slid open and, and, you know, all the bugs come out and everything. But it's just that model of him just doesn't look good. Well, by the time the bugs are coming out, you can tell he's sticking his head into a torso, you know, that's that's it's it's got a little rubberiness to it for sure. But I 
I don't know. I, maybe it's nostalgia, but I like that rubberiness every once in a while, you know? <laughs> you know, there's that. I, I know there's scene you're talking about where, like, his his head and, and his arms are real, but the, the yeah. torso is all rubbery. But then when he's laying on the floor and the bugs are all coming out of him, he looks just like the rubber Schwarzenegger head from the part of Terminator where he gouges his eye out with the exact. Uh, yeah, yeah. It just doesn't look real. It looks yeah. like a big fake rubber head. And, you know, I appreciate the effort, guys, but you just didn't quite pull didn't it pull off. That you know one off. I mean? yeah. yeah. But that glowy one where the uh, where that freaky that vampire is really freaky too that one that never talks and well that one was that was like the weird that was like i think that was a total culture club yeah (laughs) because he was dressed like boy george but he was uh, he looked like the other guy the black guy in in culture club sort of dressed like boy george too but he was very androgynous you couldn't tell you know it was I'm assuming it was a heek, you, you know, after a while it's like, ah, it looks like it's got the Adam's apple and, and all that. Right. Yeah, the roller, and, and roller skating too, which I remember was like kind of cool then, but it's kind of just cheesy now. But yeah, that guy, that guy was like a good, he was really the, besides the lead woman, the, the only like scary yes. creature, even, even, um, you know, the golem wasn't really... He was kind of comedy relief, too, just as a bug eater. Yeah. You know? He was like the... The uh, Renfield. Renfield, yeah. Yeah, yeah I like that. But, uh, I like... You know, for some weird reason, I don't think I ever consciously realized it until this viewing, but... Um, Charlie had a Mustang again in this movie, which could arguably be his finished, you know, he, like he had finished restoring the one that was all bondoed up. Yeah. Yeah. Bondo. Yeah. Yes. I like that. I caught that on this viewing. I was like, Hey, a Mustang. Hey, it might be the same one. So I thought that was really cool. And, uh, as much as I really, really love, um, Roddy McDowell as Peter Vincent in the first movie, I really like him in this movie because in this one, he he, when he's doing Peter later on in the movie when he's you know really into his Peter Vincent role, he's serious about it this time. It's not he knows it, he can do it at this time. He's like, right, wait, that's yeah. right. I killed another badass vampire, but he's not doing it in that that you know. I'll give you the perfect example. When when he can when he and Charlie confront Dandridge in Dandridge's house for the first time in the first movie, and he thrusts the cross out to Dandridge, he goes back spawn of Satan, and he does it very like B movie cheese. Yes, but in this one, there's a fantastic scene where um, Regina is in her bat form, and she's coming at him. And he thrusts the the cross right in her face, and he says, "Back, accursed hell spawn, back!" And he doesn't do it at all cheesy or with like a lot of theatrical flirt. He's doing it because he's really, you know, he's there. Yeah, he's into it. You know, this, this, this he's really battling. He's really telling her back. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's such. Well, it's basically the same line, but delivered two completely different ways, and I love it in the second one. He's really into it. When you think about it, you know, they were like, it was, uh, I looked at it originally as kind of ironic that, 
like they go to get the horror movie guy to do it, you know, and right. and, and I thought, you know, that he went to, you know, Charlie went to get him because, you know, he idolized him from watching him on TV. But when you really think about it, he would be, unless there were real vampire slayers out there, he would be the closest thing in the world to a vampire slayer and would actually know, be, you know, one of the few people besides maybe like somebody who writes scripts. Right. You know, but also he has all the props too. So he's probably one of the only people in the world who has all the props and and tools of a vampire hunter and knows the lore. So really, he really is, you know, after killing Dandridge, he's really a vampire hunter. You know, he becomes that character. He is the character that that he or, or always portrayed which is it's an awesome character arc because i'm sure he always thought that character was kind of cheesy and was a little right. ashamed of it you know right and by the end of both movies he re, you know he figures out no it's you know i'm a vampire killer you know there's another great and in my opinion extremely underrated movie that does the same exact thing and does it just as awesomely and that's um Tim Allen's character in Galaxy Quest. Yes, it's just, the yes, same you're right. Thing. The aliens come to him because he's Captain Kirk. Yeah, and you he's know, just he's like, like no, I just actor, played him, you know? and they're like, no, but actually, the, though, yeah, by the end are. of the movie, he he's Kirk, you know, and it's like, damn, you know, it's it, every time I watch that movie, I think of Peter Vincent in that part because it is, it's the same well, thing. I'll tell you, you know? I'll tell you, that's you know, I mean, I mean, Shatner has got to be a little bit of Kirk because he pulled Kirk out of himself. So those aspects of Kirk are inside of Shatner, whether he created him for Kirk or he pulled him out of himself. And yeah, I, I love that. I love that idea. You know, I'm telling you, dude, if, if the aliens came down tomorrow and they were Klingon esque, where they were a bunch of, you know, greasy, you know, evil space biker assholes, assholes with a bunch of blah, 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 blah. <laughs> It's like a South has... Park episode. But I'm hoping that NASA would have enough fucking intelligence that who are they going to get? They're not going to get Stephen Hawking or somebody to consult with. They're going to get <laughs> William fucking Shatner to go deal with these Please space Please do not assholes. destroy us. Yes. No, Shatner just like, look, <laughs> I know how to deal with these people. And he would too, man. <laughs> He would be in the fucking 80 years old or whatever. He would be in the gym, like, learning, like, real. No, don't teach me the kick from Star Trek. Teach me a real kick. I don't even think he'd go to the gym, man. He'd be up there, all <laughs> just like he was in Generations, popping uh, Malcolm McDowell yep, in the they'll face. Be, they'll, they'll, they'll be like, like they'll, jab, they'll be jab, like, do you jab. want us to prep, prep you on this? No need. Just let me. All right. What's the problem here? Yeah. Who do I need to punch? <laughs> Who's a Klingon? He's a Klingon. <laughs> Now, granted, he'd have to get a couple of people to, to throw him at the aliens so he could still do the, the, the two-footed kick, but, you know, regardless. <laughs> a couple people to throw him. Jesus <laughs> Christ. They're going to have to rig up some sort of sling, man. Actually, I could point. see them putting a mattress on a uh, <laughs> on a forklift and, like, driving him two-footed at the bad guys, but still, it would still work. It'd still be awesome. Just, just slam on the brakes and let me fly at him. <laughs> Ha 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 ha!
Yeah. All right. They put him on the hood of a car, <laughs> drive at the bad guys, lock up the brakes, yeah. and here's Shatner slamming into somebody two-footed. I would love that shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, man. Now, I know that you don't like Evil Ed, but I gotta admit, I always liked Evil Ed. I was hoping he'd show up in this movie, and I couldn't remember whether he showed up or not. I thought he might have showed up, like, briefly in it, but, yeah. It was just like, I thought that actor just played him too, his character too broadly, you know? He was just a little too much of a spaz. But, yeah, uh, I mean... Why Why bother ending the first movie with saying he's somehow improbably alive for some reason? Because and... Peter pulled the stake out. Oh. See, I loved that. When I saw Fright Night in the theater for the first time and Peter grabbed the stake and pulled it out, I remember embarrassing my cousin by going, no, or something to that effect. Uh-huh. Because I knew vampire lore. If you pull the stake out, he comes back. Because in Tomb of Dracula, they used to do this shit all the time. Somebody would stake Dracula, and then in a future issue, you know, they'd find Dracula's body in like a fucking carnival, you know, you know, uh, like a freak show. And some dumbass would pull the fucking stake out, and Dracula would come back. You know, so it's like the stake has to stay in. So when Peter drew that stake out, I remember not having enough faith in the movie makers to think, nope, they just fucked up right there because evil Ed should come back. And then when he does come back, well, it's sort of, you know, at the end where he's got the glowy eyes and he does his little funny line and that's how the movie closes out. I was like, yes, they remembered, you know, I, I, I loved it. They stuck to the rules. They stuck to the rules. Exactly. You know? See, I'm not hard to please. You just have to stick to the rules. <laughs> but no, I really liked this movie. And uh, it, it was one of those weird things where where I got to the end of this one watching it today. And I was like, I remember as a kid always wanting them to, to continue. You know, I wanted to see more Fright Night. But then after watching this again, I was kind of like, you know, where where could they have gone? You know? Yeah, well, that's I, what. I guess... When you see what the comics turned out, it, it oh, ended up God. being just like a club, you know? A club of characters who fight. It would have ended up like. Ghostbusters. It would have ended up. It would have ended up with like, you know, like. Fright Night 6 would have been a mummy or something like that. You right, know? yeah. Yeah, it would have. Well, had to work yeah. their way through all the characters, you know? Yeah, it'd be Freak of the Week after a while, yep. which. Yeah. It, it, that would that would just kind of water down the the franchise, so to speak. Because yeah, that even though that, that's what yeah, our show is. <laughs> well, you know, I would I would love to see though, you know, somebody like say um, um, IDW pick up that franchise now, go and, back and try to do it in an eighty yeah. style. It might happen now. With the, it might happen now that they're rebooting it. You know. IDW uh, yeah. seems to pick up all those like franchises and and you know movie tie-ins. I am not liking what I'm hearing I'm, about that. The, the I'm not the interested ones. at all. It's just it's you know what it's going to be just a totally separate entity. That's what I think about. It's just going to be. It probably won't resemble the original at all. You know. The sole piece of information I've heard about it so far that makes me go, oh okay 
is that um, Tom Holland is heavily involved, you know, which of course he's the original guy, you know, right, he, he right. wrote the damn thing originally. I like that. But beyond that, you know, seeing Boris Yeltsin or whatever the fuck that kid's name is that played Chekhov as Charlie <laughs> and all that, I just don't care about that shit, you know? Boris I, I, you know, what is his name? It's um, something Yeltsin, isn't it? I'm, I'm, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's something, something Russian sounding. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just going to call him Boris Yeltsin. Yuri Gregorov. Yeah, yeah, there you go. But, you know, know, again, it's, it's, you know, and I I don't want to belabor this because I know we've beat this dead horse a million times, but I just, I'm done with the fucking remakes. As, you know, remake a shitty movie. Damn it. Take some movie like like Ishtar that just fucking sucked. Howard the Duck. Howard the Duck, yeah. You know, Supergirl. You know, any of those movies that, you know, were had potential and just didn't deliver the goods, redo those movies. Don't keep remaking the classics. Yeah, and I don't care. It's a financial, this is a classic. It's a financial, you know, why why remake something that flopped? You know, they're not doing yeah, it for the art. They're doing it for their They want to make something it's that makes money. money. Damn it. I hate that. I hate that. But I, I do like that. I was, I was actually surprised by how much I found myself really, really enjoying Fright Night Show. I mean, I never hated the movie, but I remembered there being more cringeworthy moments like the the death of the vampire psychologist than there were, were actually more cringeworthy moments, movie. yes. You, you think that, well, what were some of the other ones? Because that was really the only one that made me stop and go, oh my god, I can't watch that again. You know? I mean that that was the only like deal breaker cringeworthy moment. You know what I mean? Well, I you know, I think Merritt Buttrick was was flimsily you know, that that aspect of it was flimsily. What was the one thing that I was I I, I griped about it earlier. There was there was another thing that that like really really bothered me about this or that just didn't make sense that I can't I, I don't remember. remember. I don't. <laughs> but, but yeah, I, it was I, it, you know, it was just. I'm sorry. It was just. It was. It, you know. I mean, it's a sequel. There's. There's a little. There's almost always. It wasn't like um, Aliens, where it actually like, you know, steroided it up, and you know, in some way, it, yeah, it, in some way, you know, was as good in some ways better than the original, you know, or at least could stand up to the original in a, which is a classic movie, you know. But Aliens is a classic movie in its own right too, whereas Fright Night right. Two has a little bit of di- diminishing returns to it, and uh, oh yeah, absolutely, yeah, it definitely feels like it's made on a uh, a, a, a lesser budget. And it it feels like a little less love went into the second one as went into the always, first one. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it, it definitely it definitely feels sequel, you know. We're, we're gonna we're gonna, you know, redo the sequel yeah. or we're gonna like you said, diminishing returns uh and, and there were compromises you know, like, bank like, like his new girlfriend is so it, it, that that puts Charlie in the James Bond in James Bondland <laughs> where you know, he can show up every new movie with a new girlfriend and, and you don't even you know I guess it, but I liked her though. God, yeah. I liked her. Yeah. She's '80s hot, man. But, but but you know, I mean, Charlie Charlie might just be kind of a tease with these. He might be leading these girls on because 
the last girlfriend, he was talking to her about, you know, someday with the kids and, you know, the, you know, the, uh, both the, of these, you know, um, relied very strongly on the girlfriend tell it, you know, on them telling each other that they loved each other, you know, that the big moment of, right. you know, of, you know, him trying to use the, his love to bring her back from a vampire in the first movie and vice versa in the second movie. And, uh, and then, you know, he's like, well, I'm going off to college. See you later. <laughs> Which right. that happens in real life. You know, that's realistic. But, you know, I, I have a feeling the reason it was like that is probably the original actress didn't want to do it or wanted too much money or something like that. You know, they weren't like, well, we'll have Charlie in college with a different girlfriend, you know. Unless well, by I, that point, was she on that, that stupid show, that Married with Children show by that point? Oh, oh that's her. That's right. Because that, that's her other claim to fame besides um, Fright Night. Was that oh, my was God, a, yeah. Yeah, she was on. I never watched that she show. She was a lot cuter in Fright on. Night than she was in Married with Children. But she was I funny. I think she was out of the closet children. by that point, too. She was, mar- she was funny in Married with Children. She was a... Yeah, a good character in that. But she was not to be, you know, not to be whatever stereotypical or anything, but she was very much once she came out, she did at least to my eyes, she became very much like the st- stereotypical uh lesbian where she just had that uh, hairstyle. <laughs> Well, no, she just, she, she suddenly went to where she, what I was going for was that she didn't, she wasn't trying as hard to be, you know, attractive feminine, to yeah. the opposite. Yeah, feminine, exactly. Yeah. yeah, she, yeah, she had the whole butch thing going by that point. But yeah, we probably shouldn't talk about yeah. that. Well, it looks like it's about a good time to move on. We'll be right back with our scoop on the Walking Dead TV show. We'll be right back. It's almost time, kids. The clock is ticking. Be in front of your TV sets for the horathon. And remember the big giveaway at nine. Don't miss it. And don't forget to wear your masks. The clock is ticking. It's almost time. Welcome back to Two True Freaks Halloween Special for 2010. Now, recently, we were treated, we were feted, basically. Here, here's the story on this. A listener, who we still don't know who it was, um, they wished to remain anonymous, I guess. A lot of them do for some reason. Yeah, I know. I don't know what's up with that. They uh, contacted 
AMC on our behalf. And basically, the way I understand it, kind of took them to task for the fact that for um, two years, give or take, we have been covering the Walking Dead comic and basically kissing Robert Kirkman's ass up and down. Up and down to, to <laughs> east to west. Month after month for, you know, like I say, almost two years now. I'm carrying his baby right now. <laughs> and so we got a very nice email from AMC asking us, would we care to come to Atlanta for a special sneak preview of the first episode of The Walking Dead. And Chris and I were both like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah! <laughs> so, you know, they flew us first class to Atlanta, where we attended this special uh, sneak preview viewing of the thing. And, I mean, they, they totally took care of us. They provided everything we wanted, everything we needed. Not um, everything. Well, I mean, you know, you got those two whores that you wanted, and I got... Yeah, but I didn't cheats, get everything. So. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry about that. But it was totally, totally awesome. Lines and, were uh, drawn. I, I, you know, I just wanted to talk about it. What did, what did you think? Because we've basically I'm, held on to our thoughts on this whole thing for this show. So. It's, it's getting close to where it's going to come out, so we can talk about it. Um, A, I thought it was awesome i think and and this is what i've been before the show even came out i've been telling all the people that i know that don't read the comics that may or may not be like into genre type movies or are but not as much you know aren't as nerded out as me that just wait till the walking dead hits tv man Mm -hmm. because i've been ever since this comic came out i've been just of the opinion of like and and it wasn't just me. It, like about the same time I started thinking about it, it started like just flooding in the letters. You would see letters every once in a while, it, it, you know, repeatedly saying, "You ought to have a HBO show," you know, based on this comic. It would be awesome. And yet, and I thought to myself, "Yes, it would be," especially if they just stuck. You know, I was watching this going, man, if they filmed this, this is a weekly TV show and stuck to these comics, it would be, you know, people think Oz was intense. You know, this would be over-the-top intense. Well, now it's happened, and it's been done. Uh, I can say from the first episode, the first episode was done right, man. I, 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 like, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't be happier with it, um... There's the, like the first scene, the opening scene of it, which I'm not going to say what happens in it, but it's not in the comic. It's not, it's something, it could have happened in the comic, but it's sort of, you know, the timeline isn't the same. You know, there's a scene out of time in the beginning of it, mm-hmm. but that scene pretty much says to the viewer, this show is not going to pull any punches. And I know a lot of people who read the comic, a lot of people, like, didn't make it past the first comic. They were like, yeah, I didn't think it was that good. Because the first comic isn't very action-packed. It doesn't have, like, as much of the intensity that's to come once the characters and situations are built up. But, and I think they realized that with this TV show and knew that they had to come right out and show people... What to ex- you know to basically expect this show to be of no punches pulled, 
no-holds-barred, serious zombie movie. And I think that was a brilliant move, you know, in that, that first opening sequence is a brilliant move because I know what's coming, <laughs> you know. I'm, I'm ready for, for the future of the walking, you know, the characters in The Walking Dead. I sort of know what's coming. But, um, you know, normal audiences who are just going to cold start watching this, you know, that's really going to... And it sort of reminds me of hit the end of The Mist, except it works this time, whereas I hated The End of The Mist. Yeah, me and I was too. just talking to somebody else who was like, you know, violently just like, rah, rah, you know, but this this is sort of the same thing. It, this is sort of a little like, yeah, that's right. I'm crossing a line here. And uh, um, but this time it it really works. And uh, I don't know. I, I can't look at it objectively because I've read the comics and I'm so into it. And I know the story so well, especially that first issue, you know. I know the story so well that when I saw it played out, all I could judge it by was how does it feel true to the form of the comic to me. And as far, I, But I can't look at it with fresh eyes. You know, somebody who just doesn't know anything about this and is, sees this, I think they're going to just get their mind blown because it's, it's well acted it's very well written, very well directed, very well filmed. The characters, if you're a fan of the comic, they look <laughs> like their characters for the most part. You know, Shane and Laurie, not as much so, but yeah. it's only just minor things about them. It's more like Shane's build isn't as burly as he was in the comic. But boy, you know, Rick <laughs> is Rick is Rick, you know. And uh, I, I just, and I like the the they added some wrinkles to, um, oh, what's his name and his son, um, Morgan and his son, Morgan and Dwayne, yeah, and Dwayne, yeah, and, that, and that's was, intense, yeah, that was actually the 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 sequence of this that won me over, because I, I have to tell you, right out of the gate with that opening sequence and some other things that they were doing. In the beginning of this, I was enjoying it, but I also had a little bit of that that Star Trek 2009 feeling of, uh, you're going off the script, you know what I mean? And it was starting to make me nervous because, you know, I am a hardcore stickler for, if you're going to adapt comics, adapt the damn comics. Don't start doing weird stuff and putting the director's vision in it and changing the dialogue and updating the origin and all that crap because it really pisses me off. You know, they they don't, you know, they don't I take... don't think that's what they really did here, though. Well, to a degree, I felt like they did because, you know, I, I really, with this particular work, you know, I can see making a Batman movie and not following Detective Comics number 27 because, let's face it, that came out in 1939. It doesn't have the same sensibilities as modern audiences. Yeah, this but came the out in 2003. Yeah. yeah, exactly. The Walking Dead, you know, the first several issues were, you know, just a couple of years ago. You could do a shot-for-shot, word-for-word adaptation of that 
and put that on the screen and it works, you know, and there's yeah. no silly, awkward, superhero-y stuff in there because that's not what it is. But I found myself sitting through sequences that weren't in the comics or sequences where they were kind of doing the general outline of what was in the comics, but changing certain things, yes. certain dialogue and cringing. Because I really don't like that. It really hits my nerd button. You know what I mean? Yet that part, that wrinkle that they add to, you know, Dwayne and uh, Morgan, and Morgan. St- man, really, really, that uh, uh, but was you see, powerful stuff. You see, well, that's what I, I think. That's I think they really. I think those two things, the first sequence in that, the thing that they left out that I wish they would have left in was him opening the door. To the room full of zombies. Yes, but they didn't want him to know. They wanted to do the scene with Morgan, where he, by the time he got to Morgan's, he didn't know what was going on. So the, I understand why they didn't do that, but I still wanted to I see it. I kind of felt that the other reason that they did that was um, here's the thing: is that we're trying not to spoil, but there's certain things that unfortunately are going to get. There's, there's going to be things I'm not going to spoil, but yeah, go ahead. But I think. My personal feeling for why they didn't put that scene in there in in the cafeteria or whatever it was in the hospital was because of the scene where Rick rounds the corner onto whatever that is, Peachtree Street or whatever, and there's just thousands of zombies because that's the first time you see a herd. Yeah. You know? And I think it was that much more powerful he because you suddenly punch. realized... Yeah. Holy That's shit, they're too. everywhere. You know, there's there's a zillion of them. Because up to that point, you only ever see just a few stragglers here and there. Well, can I just say that se- that sequence is brilliant. As a filmmaker, it's brilliant. Because it's the first time in a zombie movie, it's the, uh, not the first time, but the best time I've ever seen in a zombie movie where... Okay, you see him, you know, and everybody knows this who's read the comic, you know. He's just riding along. There's a couple stragglers, you know, going, but he knows he's on a horse, you know. He's like, whatever, I can get away from these shambling guys. Comes around the corner, there's a herd. And the first thing you think is, well, all you got to do is turn around and run away. Right. You know, because, and then he turns around and a whole bunch of gathered behind him when he wasn't even thinking. And then you, it starts setting in. How dangerous this situation is to the point of where it's like, it's looking like you ain't getting out of this. It's looking like this is it, you know? And it's very well done. So I tell you, you know, you and I went into the screening of this. It was the middle of the day, bright, sunny, sunshiny Atlanta day. Yeah, you know, everybody's we're, all happy. Yeah, like, you know, we're there, all like, sitting in the theater, you know, we're surrounded by people and. You know, we had our drinks and our chips and all that sort of thing, and we're sitting there. But that scene where he has to crawl under things to try oh. to get away from that herd, I'm not oh. shitting you. I think that's the most frightened I've ever been at the movies. It scared really? the piss out of me because I've had dreams like that. I mean, who hasn't? You know, where yeah. you're, you're trying to get away, and you know it's completely hopeless. You are not going to live through well, this experience. It's it, he, He's such a good filmmaker because the way all the sequence plays out, it's like 
you know, it's getting worse and worse, but he always has some, like, like when he's crawling under, it's like, well, they're coming after him from behind, but they don't really know that he's coming on the other end. So he's heading that way, and then you see a couple of they them squat to, yeah. down. And then it's like, well, shit, you know? And he can't go out, the, and it's just like, well, shit, he's fucked, you know? And it's beautiful. It's and he just, knows it, because there yeah. is that moment where he go that this is it. Yeah. I'm, I'm, this is do- I'm done. Now, let yeah. me ask you this. The thing that gets him to that street with the herd, did that bother you at all? Because that kind of bothers me because in the comics we wouldn't see that sequence until way on down the road yeah um i i'm not sure why they did it but it it worked you know it was definitely like a way of getting him to you know move in a direction and it might be a nice little bit of foreshadowing yeah as to that but uh um yeah, I mean but but yeah, by the end of, I was by the end of that episode, yeah, my heart was just like Oh yeah. Yeah. And I knew what was happening. you know, I knew I've read the script to it beforehand and I've read the comic book, so I knew what was going on and I'm like, "Holy shit, if this has got me this wound up it and and I'm so familiar with this. I you know, this and this is the kind of thing where this is my where once something like this gets on TV, all of a sudden, a zombie movie might be kind of palatable to like say, people's parents. You know, they'll they'll watch this and go like, I didn't want to watch that stupid zombie show, but I you know we watched the first episode and it was so good. You know, it was so intense. It's really gross though. You know, right? But I could see this being, you know, something. That really, because intensity and horrible things happening don't now really negate the fact that you could get a huge audience. And Oz was sort of, you know, Oz was an unpleasant show to watch. You know, it's like prison rape and prison shankings and people, you know, getting killed and beat up horribly left and right. And it's, you know, just total ugly degradation. And it was a huge hit, you know. And it was a fascinating... So I think this... And knowing how well these characters are written and the story of this, I think this is going to be huge. Well, I mean, how how many letters have we seen in the letters page of The Walking Dead that are an iteration on the same theme of, you know, I don't even like horror comics, but... Or I don't even like zombie movies, but... Or I don't like... I haven't read comics in 20 years. Yeah, exactly. I think that this is going to be the same game changer for television and and the viewers that are going to end up finding themselves sucked in despite themselves for this show as the comic was in the comic book world. I I predict a, a strong parallel. Yes. Because, you know, television already has that. Television already has a rich history of certain shows that were were of a type or in a genre or whatever that may not have been popular or whatever, but because of the power of whatever it was that they were doing, they drew people in that normally wouldn't give a shit about that sort of thing. And AMC right now already has a show like that. They've got Mad Men. That's one of those shows I find myself addicted to that show and can't tell you why, you know? 
It's just good television. And you're not the only one. I hear that from a lot of people. And 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 the fact that Mad Men's on AMC is going to get a lot of those people oh, yeah. into The Walking Dead. And I'm telling you, this is a show I think my mother would watch this and be like, I don't want to watch this and get sucked into it because mm-hmm. I, I watch... I was watching people. I was watching people watch it, and they were getting, you know, they were hanging on. I'm wondering how many people there were not were like cold viewers, you know, just right. pulled off the street sort of thing, you know, because that's what I'm really interested in. How it's going to be seen by somebody who doesn't know anything about it, who's just like, oh, I'm going to watch this show, and holy shit, right? And and you know, and and. And you and I know. Here's the thing that's going to suck. Each season, six episodes. Oh, is that all they're doing? Is yeah. just six? Six episodes per season. Oh, my God. Really? I pray to God that at least the season enders a couple out, you know, a double size or something, please, because that's going to. Well, how long was this episode? <laughs> an hour. Was it just an hour? Mm-hmm. It went by really fast, so it was hard well, to tell. Yeah. 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 how long it was and there were a few variations from the script that I'd read but just minor ones like when he goes down that stairwell and he's lighting the matches in the original in the script he's like you, he can just see from the matches that there's like bodies piled up in the stairwell yeah he's going down there but you yeah don't really I remember, see I remember that seeing that in one of the trailers because I kept waiting mm-hmm. for that to happen mm-hmm. and it never and it did didn't happen yeah, yeah. But that was frightening. That scene where the the match kept going out on him, or matches rather, plural, kept going out on him, that scared the shit out of me because that was the same thing as when, um, oh, I can't remember the character, but when when the guy in the stand had to walk through the Lincoln Tunnel alone, that scared the fuck out of me. That's one of that's one of you know it's so funny. I was talking to somebody about the stand last night, and they were they were talking about the comic book, and they said, "I hear the comic book is gonna do it, you know, so so hardcore that like one whole episode issue of the comic is like him going through the tunnel, you know." Yeah, I was like, "Ooh, that's cool." I need to read that. I, I've heard good things about that, but I haven't I haven't checked. No, I haven't either. Yeah, but uh, but um, just two other quick things, real quick, is that um. I, I, because of that scene that we talked about, that little wrinkle that was added to uh, Morgan and Dwayne, plus, and I'm not going to spoil anything, but plus the cliffhanger, the way this ends, yes, won me over so far. I, I'll give it just to this one episode, but so far it won me over to the deviations from the comic. So that's quite the feat in itself, right there. Because you I know embrace, me, I, I, I embrace I, the deviations because I know that they have to. You know, since it's a TV show, and right. since they're doing six episodes, they're gonna they're gonna have to shimmy some stuff around. Right. And I think those deviations were put there to communicate things to first time viewers. Like, oh yeah, this you know that first scene to me in the Walking Dead story, that first opening sequence isn't very, you know, wasn't like, oh my god, I can't believe that just happened. But to somebody who's not really, not really familiar with it, I think that could that scene could be really like 
you know, over, over, not crossing a line, but really intense, you know, just like, holy yeah, shit. Cause that's so, something I don't think we've ever really seen in a zombie movie before, because even Romero didn't go, dare go there. Well, you know, we yeah, saw well, something I I, I, similar. I was going to, yeah, I was going to sort of counter with that, but then it might spoil what yeah. happens. I mean, we saw this- something similar in that one sequence in Dawn of the, the original Dawn of the Dead. But well, then the it remake, was a in the remake. T- yeah, but even that, you know, you didn't see it happen. Right, 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 right. It, you know what I mean? Not like this, yeah. yeah and this, and this like is that. pointedly in the beginning. This is pointedly right. the first scene, the opening thing that you see. Right. It's and and it and I think that was something that needed to be. And I think the whole subplot with Morgan was something to be needed in there because those. Because that subplot with Morgan is very Kirkman Walking Dead. Yes. You know, it it, it fits right in. And, you know, the scene at the beginning, that's not even revisionist. You know, that's just something that could have happened that we didn't see in the comic. It it really doesn't fuck with the flow of continuity or canon at all. But he needed to communicate, this is the kind of drama that's going to be in here. And this is not going to pull punches. You're not, you know, we're not going to step back and and soft coat it. And I also think he had to say that to us too. The comic readers are saying, just because this is on TV doesn't mean that, you know, they put, you know, the scene at the farmhouse is a lot less gory and horrifying than the comic. Yeah. But that's a, you can't show every single thing, especially if it's only going to be six episodes, you know. But but they communicated the general flavor of it, you know. And actually, like what Rick does in this one makes a little more sense than, and I and and I like that they, you know, I like the way he communicated with the horse. It was just like the comic, you know. He comes right. in, and the horse is glad to, and, you know, the horse is glad to see a human you know it's i like I, I think this is the best zombie movie you know zombie on film stuff that romero hasn't done you know it's right. it's, it's it's this is uh, unless somebody makes something as good as the original dawn of the dead and debatably day of the dead this is like the cream of zombie crop this is <laughs> this is this is even a little better than Romero because it's got some it's got like the acting's a little better you know the acting's oh, better and yeah, definitely uh, it's and it's just as intense this is this is the this is the shit man this is the this is what makes this is real zombie it's real zombie it's awesome it's just what I'd hoped for I'm so happy when a plan comes together, even if it's not my plan. I'm just, I, I can't wait. I can't wait. I'm wondering, I'm wondering in this first season if we'll even get to the prison. You know what I'm saying? For with, I would like to see the season end with with to with, the with them coming up over the hill onto the prison. Oh, yeah. that would be a great season ender. You're right. It would be that would be like that's like a trade paperback per season. Yep. Oh my god. That's good. That's gonna be so harsh. Oh, speaking of trade, you know what it's gonna do. You know what it's gonna do. It's gonna drive all these people to the comics. 
It is. No, it's not because they don't use that word in the thing, and it pisses me it's off. It's gonna drive them to the the graphic it says, novels from the series of graphic novels. And I was like, God, either way, damn it, not again. It's way, a comic book. Either way, Ugh. there's gonna be fiending. There's gonna be brand new yeah, Walking Dead right. fiending fans. They're gonna watch the first couple episodes. They're gonna go out and buy the first trade paperback and I read it and so. go. Holy shit! And then they're gonna buy all the rest of the trade I paperbacks. Hope so. I, because I hope you're right. I, re- I really hope it could translates into some foot traffic for the uh, comic the, industry. The yes. comics, yeah, the the comic shops and the in the Barnes and Noble graphic novel section. Yeah, absolutely. I really hope it does. I think I think it. I I I have I have high hopes and big expectations for this. I think this is like, you know, I. Not to be pretentious, but I think I have a pretty good eye for quality work. And I've been eyeballing The Walking Dead since it came out. And it's gold, platinum, standard work on every level. And that has been translated into the TV medium. And it's going to blow people's brains all over the wall. It's nice to see uh, Bear McCreary getting some work after the uh, cancellation of uh, the Sarah Connor Chronicles. I thought that was very nice. That's the guy who did the uh, soundtrack? Soundtrack, yeah. Score, yeah. Yeah. I liked it, too. I mean, it, it wasn't... There wasn't anything in particular that jumped out at me, but that's probably a good thing. You know what I mean? That it that it was... That it worked as a score, and, and there wasn't something where I, I heard it and, and uh, you know, it, it, it intruded or anything like that, you know, good or bad, really. It, it was no, just, it was a it just serviceable, yeah. Well, that's, in a horror movie, a lot of times you don't want the score to really either be overpowering, you just want it to sort of be there and working... Well, plus, didn't they tell us that that this is not necessarily the the version that will air? Well, it, yeah, I mean, when you see something like that early, it gets tweaked a little bit. And, yeah, and but it, it, I, I would have to say it's like probably like ninety five to ninety nine percent of what. Yeah, you know, the the you know, I would imagine that's mostly going to be like audio cleaned up a little yeah. bit or something you know just fine-tuning things at this point yeah there weren't any like you know scene missing type of you know things coming up on the screen or any you know no no, no black obvi- and white obvious, rough cuts or something like that obvious like yeah obvious like cut like jump cuts or anything like that or any weird um i've seen stuff before that have you know had um what is it? Grease pencil marks, you know. Oh, there was that scene where, where Gambit comes out and, and fights Rick with his bow staff. I forgot that about was, that. Yeah. That was all in black and white, so that's probably not going to be in the finished. <laughs> <laughs> but by the time you're hearing this, it's going to be very soon. Uh, you know, if you're hearing this when it fresh comes out, it's going to be on AMC. Halloween night. Halloween night. Halloween night. Set your DVRs because you'll probably be doing something Halloweeny. But if you're not, be in front of that TV watching zombies. If you're doing you... your Halloweeny, do it. Do it where I don't have to see it. <laughs> but uh, yes, it, it's a very it's 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 a very fitting show for Halloween. And if you you know, I would say this: throw a Halloween Walking Dead party. 
and then and then you know everybody can watch the movie for an hour and then you can drink blood colored punch the rest of the time and it works for me because i usually end up watching dawn of the dead one of the two versions of that on halloween night so this this fits in perfectly my plan for halloween night is i'm gonna track down night of the living dead reanimated where people took the audio soundtrack of the original Night of the Living Dead, which is public domain, so you can do whatever the hell you want with it. And then he had an open internet call to people to animate the sequences over the sound, and he hacks them all together in the course of the movie. Some of it's rotoscope, some of it's claymation, some of it's sock puppets, but it all goes right along to the movie. Did you ever see the stick figure theater, Night of the Living Dead? Yes. Well, that was what inspired this, actually, is where they got the idea for this. And there's actual stick figure parts of it. I hear the scene where the daughter stabs her mother to death is done with Barbie dolls, though. (laughs) And it's really creepy. I've heard it's great. I've heard it's great. So that's going to, that was my Halloween. What is it called? uh, Night of the Living Dead Reanimated. I, I haven't tracked it down yet, but I but I'm gonna try and track it down and see it. I've heard that it's been on DVD for a little while, so I should be able to find it. Hopefully by Halloween. But I think uh, we should leave it at that before we spoil anything more for it, or if we haven't lost anybody already. But uh, anyway, Happy Halloween. What the fuck, man? Are you okay? <laughs> Should I call an ambulance? Did you hear that? I could... You know, I just knew you were fucking... That's why that silence was there. It was like that concentration of like, I can't spoil this fart by speaking. All right, I'm going to fade out right on that. Jesus. What the fuck? Did you know you can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows? That's right. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy. And there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libson.com. Twotruefreaks.libson.com is spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S dot Libson, which is L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. You can find me, Scott Gardner, both on Twitter and Facebook. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. We are also members of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check it out at www.comicspodcast.com where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. Thanks for listening. Join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks.
Future Freaks has been brought to you today by Damanzo Corps of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U.